Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello, everyone. This is Jen Weigel in for Joan Esposito. So excited to be here in the seat, WCPT 820. And we are going to talk about a lot of things today. We've got some people coming into the studio. We also have some people joining us on the phone lines, but I bet a lot of people didn't know this. Today is National Fun at Work Day. (laughs) Just in case you were wondering, it's the last Friday of January, and that is nationally a thing. So we want to have some fun. I know there's so much not fun in the world for a lot of people who don't know. I spent a couple decades in the news business. Everything's wrong back to you was kind of the motto as I worked for every station in town, ABC, CBS, NBC, WGN, WLS radio. Uh, It was all over the map. I did a lot of stuff, WGN radio, and now lovely AM 820 WCPT radio. But as I have been around the block a few times doing this work for quite a long time, actually, I know that facts matter. And I also know that a lot of facts and a lot of information is not talked about, about things that are working, about the wiring of our brain and how we can literally pick a lane in the brain. We're going to talk about that later. Brain mapping. You know, we can all see our physical body. We know what our physical body looks like. Someone needs to go to the gym. You go, hey, dude, you need to go to the gym. Do a few sit-ups. Whatever it is, you can see it. However, we can't see our brain. Or can we? Or can we? We're going to brain map today. We're going to be talking to somebody who actually specializes in this. Imagine if before you decided to just pop a pill for whatever ails you, you actually had a map of your brain to tell you what ails you. So that's important. Also, Lisa Dietland's going to be joining us. Now, Lisa, it's a really interesting story for those who believe in miracles. Lisa is a walking miracle. I have interviewed a lot of people over the years, many of them who have actually died and lived to talk about it. <laughs> kind of a weird statement, but it's true. It's called a near-death experience. And my one guest today, she's a philanthropy expert, but here's what happened to Lisa. I'm going to pull back the curtain here for a minute and tell you. So Lisa Dietland's walking through rush hour traffic around Lake and Wacker, that area, gets hit by a taxi, slammed by a taxi, boom. She flies up, lands on the hood of the taxi, knocked out of her Jimmy Choo shoes, by the way, ladies, if you know what I'm talking about. One shoe on either side of the street. Slides down the hood. The taxi driver's like, oh, no. (laughs) Drives over her, realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I just drove over a woman. Backs up over her. Ambulance comes. They take her to the hospital. They're expecting internal bleeding, injuries, all of it, right? Like you would expect a woman who gets hit by a taxi. Well, it turns out, as she's waiting to be x-rayed, MRI, the whole thing, and she's locked down in the gurney, she hears... It's all BS. And they didn't say BS, if you know what I'm saying. Except happiness and joy. And she's like, what? She looks around, thinks a nurse is talking to her. Nobody's there. Again, it's all BS except happiness and joy. And one more time, it's all BS except happiness and joy. So guess what? Not a scratch on this woman when she goes in for the x-rays. She is sent home without a scratch. It is an absolute miracle And now she wrote a book. I got hit by a taxi, but you look run over. (laughs) It's just one of her many books. She also has a book called The Power of Three. When you activate something three times, do three things a day to kind of forward your happiness. 
That's right. It's all BS except happiness and joy. So that is our theme today for National Fun at Work Day. We also have John St. Augustine. Many of you know John. Very familiar voice to this station. He'll be joining us in the 4 o'clock hour. And also, get this, Messages from Money is the name of the book. Ellen Rogan is a financial advisor. She's also a New York Times bestselling author. The book that she wrote before Messages from Money, Picture Your Prosperity. That's right. Ellen is going to be talking about how you can get those messages from money and lock in a great relationship with money. How about that for a change? Instead of being afraid of it or oh, not wanting to be around it, treat money, she says, the way you would treat a romantic relationship. Are you unavailable? Hmm? Are you playing games? Let's think about this. Are you ghosting the money in your life? Let's be conscious about how we are in relationship to money. Ellen will be coming to talk about that. We also have Chef Andy Murray. Come on now. Eat, drink, and be Murray. Andy Murray of the famous Murray family will be talking to us about some great Super Bowl ideas. We've also got some really hilarious Murray family stories because he put it all in this great book that is a cookbook with never-before-seen pictures of the Murray family. We're also going to find out what's going on with all things Murray. For those who have been to the Caddyshack restaurant here in Rosemont, that's Andy's uh Station, station, his flagship home. Also in St. Augustine with the first Caddyshack restaurant. Then came the Caddyshack in Rosemont. And hopefully a third Caddyshack will be coming as well. So we'll be talking all things eat, drink, and be merry with Andy. And then, of course, laughter being the best medicine here on National Fun at Work Day. We couldn't have a National Fun at Work Day without the Laughing Academy. If you haven't heard of it, you need to check it out. It's in Glenview, and they have a lot of programs. They do a lot of stand-up comedy. There's camps. There's all sorts of things. As we know, when we discover the positivity of laughter being the best medicine, it will absolutely change your frequency. And that's what this is about. It's all science, people. Frequency is a thing. We know right now that our cell phone and our radios are picking up a signal. We can't see it, but we know it's happening. Your radio is on, whether it's through your computer, through your phone, or through your car. But there is a wave entering something and coming into your ears. And that is what's going on with the world. Everything has a frequency. It can be gloom and doom and panic, right? It can be laughter. It can be joy, it can be happiness, it can be love. So we want to get you to that laughter frequency, which will actually prove to change your mood. Another cool thing that changes your mood (laughs) is a rescue animal. I don't know if there are a lot of animal people out here. I know that this station does a lot of things for animals. We have animal giveaways and sort of relationships with with those people who are in the world of loving animals. But I had a rescue dog that I had to put down. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. If you can, please feel free to call us, 773-763-9278. But you know what? You can change someone's life through the rescuing of an animal because it's a frequency, because they give you this unconditional love. And I had this dog. Her name was Luna. Apparently, that was the most popular name for an adopted dog. I didn't realize that, but Luna was an angel. She came from Hurricane Harvey down in Texas, and she was incredible. She was this lab combo platter, and uh, she was amazing, but she passed away early. I hate to say it, but she got some sort of lymphoma systematic problem. We had to put her down. It was the hardest decision 
to make when you have to put your animal down. And for those who know this and understand when you're that connected to an animal and you feel like they're, they're too young, you know, it's just not okay. But you have to do it. It's better to be a week too early on something like that than a week too late. You don't want an animal to suffer. And so with Luna, we put her down. And I was like, that's it. I'm never getting another one. I'm never doing that again. I can't. Just no thanks. Too hard. It's too hard. It just hurts too much. And so with that, I was like, forget it. I'm not doing it again. Well, lo and behold, a few months later, somebody reaches out. And it's actually a friend of mine named Charity. Her real name is Charity. And she has a raw food business. It's called rawnaturaldiet.com. For those who are raw food fans, rawnaturaldiet.com ships anywhere in the country. And she said somebody walked into her store, because she has a store down in southern Indiana, and had this dog. And her name is Birdie, and she's a yellow lab, and she needs a home. This lady apparently had 13 dogs. Talk about a dog problem. She had 13 dogs. And this dog, she said, was being used to breed other dogs as purebred labs. And actually, she didn't want to breed her anymore. She just wanted to find her the right home. So it was time for her to have a mom instead for her to be a mom. And so Birdie came into our life. And now I've got Birdie, an 18-month-old lab who is an absolute, unconditionally loving presence in our house. It brings so much joy. So when you turn on the news and you're just inundated with all this crap and you can't believe Trump won and you cannot fathom getting out of bed and getting into your car, if you have an animal, you just look at them and go, oh, I need to change my frequency now. Thank you very much. And I want you all to know miracles do happen because our guest, Lisa Dietlin, is proof of that. She got hit by a taxi without a scratch on her, and the rest of us look run over. So we're going to be talking with Lisa because her business, uh, Lisa Dietlin and Associates, she actually is an expert on philanthropy, but she has some ideas on how we can help and give back. A lot of people are dealing with, what? how can I help? There's all these issues with the, with the migrants, and then we've got a food bank problem. And we've got all of these things. How can I make a difference and actually know that the money is going to the right place? How do I know? Well, Lisa's going to tell us how you know. So after we take this break coming up, we've got Lisa Dietland joining us. Remember, you can join us, too, in this conversation just by giving us a call. 773-763-9278. This is WCPT. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Hey, everybody. Jennifer Weigel in for Joan. So honored to be here as we give you some information here on (laughs) National Fun at Work Day, in case you didn't know that. And how can you not have National Fun at Work Day without our next guest? Lisa Dietlin is a highly sought-after keynote speaker, the author of several books on enacting positive change, an internationally recognized expert on transformational change, philanthropy, and charitable giving, and she's also the founder of the Institute of Transformational Philanthropy. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hey, happy new year. Ooh, you sounded underwater. There you are. Hey, hi. Happy New Year. Hi. (laughs) Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right. Uh, Did you know that it's National Fun at Work Day? No, I didn't. Oh, shoot. We're like losing you in and out. Are you in a spot with with three bars? Do you have three bars? (laughs) I have lots of bars and I have lots of cell service. So I'm not moving either. My usual pacing, you know that I do. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, stop pacing. Stand in one spot. We don't want to lose you as we talk about signals that we can't see. We want to make sure yours comes in 
strong so you can help us. So there are so many things going on right now. I, I told the listeners about you getting hit by a taxi, but everyone else looking run over. You are a living miracle and you inspire me every day. But you also have insights for people who can help with what's going on with our landscape. For anybody out there right now that wants to make a difference, what are some things that we can do? I think the first thing that people can do is realize that they can make a difference simply Mm -hmm. by being kind. Mm -hmm. Um, Being kind is a way to start. You can also volunteer. You can donate money. Many of us are like cleaning out our closets or thinking about cleaning out our closets, you know, thinking about donations. We have a huge, you know, issue with new, new people arriving in our cities, migrants. And while that might be a volatile issue, the thought is that they do need things. And if you have things that you're not using, perhaps that's a way for you to start the new year by giving it away to somebody who does need it. So where, I mean, that is, I'm actually going through this right now, Lisa, I have boxes of stuff and it ranges from platters that I don't use to, you know, clothes that my son outgrew. How can we find a place in need? Are local churches the way to go? What's, where do we start? Well, I always say start with the Internet and do some searching. Um, American Red Cross is a great resource, and they usually are involved, if not actually doing the work. They know the organizations that are. Um, our Greater Chicago Food Depository is doing work in feeding folks. So they have resources and knowledge bases. Your houses of worship absolutely are a great place to start. You know, all of us have a police district, and we know that during several months before um, housing became available, or designated that these individuals were housed at police stations. Call your local police station. Mm-hmm. Ask where they went. Um, there's, uh, in, in, I live near Humble Park, La Casa Norte. They're doing work to help those individuals who are recently arrived in our city. Mm-hmm. Yes, in fact, La Casa Norte, I, I remember donating some furniture to them a while ago. I mean, there are places that will take furniture. There are places that will take beds. You just have to find them. You don't want to put them out by the dumpster. You want to give them a destination, don't you? Absolutely, you do. And, you know, we know the reputable organizations in our community, the American Red Cross, the Salvation Army, our local food bank, our houses of worship. Start there. You might have to make two or three phone calls. This isn't going to be um, like you're shopping one click and it's all done. You know, mm-hmm. I want to resupply the pantry. But absolutely, you know, get involved. Make a difference. Don't put the stuff in the dumpster. You know that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a great believer in don't put the stuff in the dumpster. See who can use it. See who can. It's a whole new term called upcycling. Upcycling, not recycling. You're upcycling. Yes. <laughs> Did you ever hear of the Marie Kondo, uh, what is it, tidy up? I heard of it. Okay. I did not do it. You didn't do it. Okay. <laughs> so during the pandemic, this is one of those rabbit holes I went down where you're literally, you literally you know, go through every drawer and she's got this system. There was a reality show on Netflix called Tidy Up and you're just kind of going through it all and, and, and it was just this whole process and it felt really good when you know absolutely everything you know the junk drawer the dreaded junk drawer go through the junk drawer and after you do the process i found i had like 18 neosporins 14 flashlights you just keep buying what you can't find it was absolutely (laughs) ridiculous so if somebody goes through that process and you've got too many flashlights take them to your local house of worship or something get get with the program so you can help everyone else now also too what's coming up in the landscape is what is it heart month or is that what january is okay no that's what february is we're coming right around the corner next week is february and it's um american 
Yeah, February is American Heart Association's, you know, Heart Awareness Month. And most people don't realize that cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of women. Mm. And so the first Friday of the month, February 2nd, which is next Friday, a week from today, we're all supposed to wear red to raise our awareness about how important heart health is, not only for the men in our lives, but for the women, for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. You had a you had a scare yourself, didn't you? You had to wear a device, I did, the whole I did. thing. I I had to wear a device for about a year I went through testing. You know, I'd had, as you know, and many listeners know, I'd had COVID, a really bad case of COVID, not hospitalized, but you know, it, it took me down, and mm-hmm. my doctor thought that a lingering uh, long-hauler effect was, side effect was, a heart issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I was finding myself having trouble breathing, you know, especially on flat land, not on hills. I wasn't hiking the Rockies, and my doctor <laughs> said, let's do some testing, and we did that, and it started last year in January, February timeline. So this cause has become near and dear to my heart, both mm-hmm. personally and um, and then in a figurative and literal way, the idea of let's promote this. Let's look at women in our lives and say, "Have you? How's your heart? How are you treating your body?" Um, wear red on Friday. CVS and Big Lot stores are donating certain portions of purchases, and they've got the go red pin that mm-hmm. they will donate to the American Heart Association. You know, if you're feeling a little winded, the you know, talk to your doctor about that. That's what was happening to me. Um, symptoms for men and women differ. Learn those symptoms and those signs. Okay. And what else are things that people kind of forget about as they're in their giving? One of the best messages from Ellen Rogan's new book and Messages for Money is that giving brings in abundance. Just the act of oh. giving. You're like putting that momentum out. How, Absolutely. You believe that too, yes. Oh, my gosh. I so believe that. You know, and here's a couple of the things that I say. You know, a lot of people, you know, aren't feeling the bounce back from the economy or they're, you know, it's the doldrums of the winter and they're hoarding things. But, you know, something you cannot hoard is compliments. Pay people compliments. Be mm-hmm. kind. You will be surprised when you start being nice and kind to others in your world, what comes back at you. So if it works at that level, why wouldn't it work like Ellen says with money? I have seen that happen. I have a friend who always says that when they are low on money, they start writing checks to charities mm-hmm. because then they know the contracts are coming in. Then they know they're going to, you know, it's throwing out there, believing, having faith mm-hmm. that the universe is going to take care of you. But, you know, I often say, pay a compliment to somebody, write a letter to somebody. This week I got two calls in one day, a call and an email, I should say. One from a former client who had taken a new job and complimented me, thanked me for helping them, all of which I did was just give them a boost of energy and excitement, you know, like you can do this. And the other was from a former student who said, hey, I took your class and I realized I don't want to do this uh, study anymore. So here's where I'm going now. And I want to thank you. Uh I want to say thank you to you because you opened my eyes while I thought I wanted to go down this path. I actually want to go down this path. And, you know, that student didn't have to do that. What an amazing compliment to receive as a professor. I think that's amazing. Yeah, you're doing some incredible work. We actually have a caller. Patrick has a secret to volunteering. Hold on, Lisa. We're going to hear from Patrick. I think he might have some insights on this as well and join the chat. Hi, Patrick. Welcome. Hello there. How are you doing? Great. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Thank you. Uh, I just want to tell you my my idea about volunteering. I... uh, if you're going to volunteer for an organization, volunteer for a set amount of time. Three months is a really good time. 
that gives you time to figure out whether you want to continue doing it or you don't. But you go, when you go in and, and talk to the people, say, I'd like to volunteer, tell them three months. Mm-hmm. That way, you're not going into an open-ended contract. You have an exit strategy. You don't stay there till you hate it. Or they say, please don't come back. Um, it, it allows you the time to try it. And then at the end of three months, you can already say, you can always go and say, hey, I like this. This was fun. I've really got, in, I've enjoyed this. I've got a lot out of it. How about we try another three months? I think that's but, a great know, suggestion. Not going in with, with an exit is just a bad idea because then you stay until you don't like it. Right. Or until they ask you not to come back. That is great. That's wonderful, Patrick. Thank you so much for the call. And that then otherwise you get what they call resentment flu. Isn't that correct, Lisa? <laughs> Absolutely. I love that idea. And that that is a wonderful way to approach volunteering to have that exit strategy or look at a project. You know, mm-hmm. we're coming into the spring, a lot of um, nonprofit organizations, especially those involved with children or the, uh, those that are taking care of homeless people might need some painting, freshening, freshening up. There's a lot of city gardens and garden spots that they might need some help. So maybe in addition to thinking about a time commitment, like um, Patrick suggested three months, think about a project commitment. I will p- help paint all the child care rooms. I will help paint this house for the newly returning citizen who's moving in here. Mm-hmm. I will help plant this garden. And then I'm done. Right. You know, I've done my part and I'm done. As we approach February is the big month where a lot of parents are trying to find out something for their kids to do for the summer. It's like, Yeesh. what do you recommend <laughs> for the parent that wants to get their kid volunteering in some way where they can make a difference? Oh, my goodness. There are so many amazing opportunities. You know, again, I would talk to the child and, you know, you could even combine it with their birthday. Talk to the child about what they really care about. One of my friends, their child loved animals. And so he had a birthday party. His birthday was in August. And instead of um, his friends bringing him gifts, they all brought things that the animal shelter needed. And they, you know, brought it and then they made a big deal of donating it and a picture was taken and the child learned the act of philanthropy. You can volunteer at animal shelters to walk the dogs, to pat the cats. I mean, some of them do have age restrictions, but there's lots of different ways that you can get your child involved in volunteering. You know, during COVID, many of the restrictions in place about age were lessened or reduced. Now, that said, you can't just take your kid and drop them off. My, My guess is that most of them want parental supervision unless it's a dedicated activity with children volunteering. But ask your child, the first thing I would do is ask your child what they care about, that they have to pick a project, whether it's gardening, animals, you know, food, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, ask them what they care about and then find a nonprofit that aligns with it. If you don't see it on the website, you know, don't stop there. Give a call. Send an email. Tell them what you want to do because everyone's looking for individuals that want to volunteer. We want to teach this next generation the importance of giving back. I love it. Lisa Dietlin, you are amazing. LisaDietlin.com, D-I-E-T-L-I-N.com to learn more and to contact her or to get a hold of some of her books. We appreciate all that you do, Lisa. As always, we will be in touch and see you soon. It is now time for the news at 2.30 here at WCPT. I'm Jennifer Weigel in for Joan. More after the news. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. 
I got so distracted there in the break there, Paul. Thanks to Paul uh, Shivari for all of his help. Uh, because I'm just perusing through this incredible book, Eat, Drink, and Be Murray, and it's making me really hungry. For any foodie out there, by the way, if you don't already have this book, you can get it in time to impress people for the Super Bowl, which is February 11th, uh, or just in general while you're trying to get through the winter doldrums. Here in Chicago, that's a thing. Not so much where Chef Andy Murray is, the creator of all of the magic here in this book, Eat, Drink, and Be Murray. Hey, Andy, how are you? Hi, Jen. How are you today? I am starving at the moment, thanks to you. <laughs> I was just looking here at, oh my gosh. It's good to be wanted, you know? <laughs> it's like, what the heck did I do this for before eating? Chicken pot pie? Come on. And on the chicken pot pie page, by the way, of Eat, Drink, and Be Murray with this incredible recipe, uh, we have one of Johnny, your brother Johnny Murray's memories. So throughout the book, Eat, Drink, and Be Murray, there are Murray memories from different members of the Murray family. That's a lot of M's there. So when Belushi was filming the Blues Brothers, he and Dan Aykroyd owned a little bar down the alley behind the Second City. And while they were shooting the movie, that was their personal hangout. So one night, Andy, chef on the phone, Laura, sister Laura, and Johnny were trying to convince mom to stop by. He said he was really excited to go into the bar. I think, what, how old were you, Andy? You tell the story. <laughs> you oh, can tell God. it better. We were... <laughs> Uh, I think I had just turned 21, so Johnny was, what, 19 then? Cool. Hey, if you, had a, like if you had a pulse at that time, they would they would give you drinks, especially in like an alley where you were at Belushi's Hangout, right? <laughs> yeah, no, there, nobody was checking IDs at, at that bar. Exactly. So what happens is... You know, is mom, your... <laughs> mom, mom was our ID. You yeah. know, so. so here's Lucille, your awesome mother, who already liked... Johnny, or sorry, liked Johnny Belushi, that is, because Belushi had been to the house for fried chicken. Oh, yeah. John John and my brother Brian had, had, had started at Second City pretty much at the same time. They were on the main stage together mm-hmm. uh, with Harold Ramis and Joe Flaherty and Betty Thomas. Um and Brian would bring people over, you know, on the weekends uh, before their shows for, for dinner. And this one time mom made fried chicken. Mm-hmm. And I, John John never stopped eating fried chicken. His head never came up. It was crazy. Uh, he went through about three or four fried chickens, uh, you know, pieces anyway. Good, good to know uh, your was, mom had yeah, plenty he loved handy. My mother. Yeah. So your mom yeah, already well, she had this relationship with John Belushi. For those just tuning in, Chef Andy Murray, the creator of many recipes from Eat, Drink, and Be Murray, all the recipes in the book, which you need to have in your Rolodex, are actually right on your bookshelf. But you can also go to Eat, Drink, and Be Murray on YouTube for those. Um, many of your recipes are on the YouTube channel, Eat, Drink, and Be Murray, and we're there uh, demonstrating those. But so your mom, Lucille, and John Belushi have this relationship. So you, your brother John, your sister Laura are downtown and you decide to stop by this little bar that Belushi and Aykroyd used to hang out while they were filming Blues Brothers. And where was this bar? Well, it was in the alley. There was a building. It was behind the building across the street from Second City. Okay. And they bought it. They didn't just, they just, just didn't hang out. They bought the building and turned it into a bar. They had their guy in their tenant bar and um, we came up to the door and they had a bouncer at the door, big guy. <laughs> and he goes, clothes for the public. And she goes, would you, my mother, would you tell John 
that Lucille Murray is here. <laughs> and uh, Clutching her little purse. And I looked at her, <laughs> and he, he walks in, and all of a sudden, Belusi's at the door. Oh, Mrs. Murray, Mrs. Murray, come on in. And uh, so Johnny and I, we started drinking as fast as we could because we knew Mom wasn't going to be staying that long. Uh, so we were just trying to get our free drinks in. Right. And your mom had like a one old-fashioned limit, pretty much, right? My mom, my mom had an old-fashioned limit, but there mm-hmm. was a time that she did an inverted margarita in New York one time. So that's, that's in the book as well. Your younger brother, Joel, tells that memory of when you, he went to Saturday Night Live to watch Bill. And, of course, afterwards, there was this little bar around the corner, or was it next door to the studio? It was next door. Okay. And the next thing Joel knows, and Joel was, what, 17? And he's again in a bar hanging out with his mom. And suddenly she's doing an inverted margarita. (laughs) Well, yeah, they put you you in this barber chair and put you all the way back. And they had these tubes running down with these, you know, you know, it's like those guys with the the helmets with the the two beer cans on either side. And they're drinking from it. But it was kind of like that. But, uh, or else, you know, I'm... Yeah, <laughs> and Mom was doing doing margaritas out of this thing. You had to go. Oh my God! <laughs> I love it. Well, there's so many. Every single category is covered. But if you're getting ready for the Super Bowl and it's coming up, and you want to impress people, believe it or not, there is a red radish spread. Now that sounds like, eesh, but it is a five minute. You can get this thing done in literally. Assembly time, five minutes. You just put it together, and then you cook it, and then boom. It's the best dip ever, and it's and it's one of Brian's favorites, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Brian was a, Brian's a serious uh, radish guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of us, we all, we all like the black olives on the dinner table, but Brian was the radish guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a very sim- a simple uh, dish to make. It, you know, everything needs to be room temperature. That's the only trick to it. But it's you know it's it's a package of cream cheese. It's a stick of butter. It's two uh, scallions, mm-hmm. um, some salt, some pepper. Uh, yeah. That's what else is in there? I don't think there's that's much else my, in that's there. That's it. That, I'm uh, looking right now. Some black pepper. Mm-hmm. That's it. And and if you got a food processor, you know I kind of chop up my my. Uh, uh, my radishes before I, I, I throw them in the food processor. But you chop them up and you take them out, mm-hmm. uh, and then you put in the butter, you put in the cream cheese and, you, and the scallions, and you whiz that all together, mm-hmm. mix them all together then. But don't do it in the blender because then all of a sudden you've got this kind of pink <laughs> stuff. It, it looks like the stuff they put in bologna. You know? Actually, though, I think that would work for Valentine's Day. So if anybody wants to do something just for Valentine's Day, you can go ahead and put the radishes and everything in the blender at the same time. It will work. <laughs> it, it, it'll taste right, but it it's, taste a, right. The, it's a different kind of look. That's yeah. right. You also have these golf balls and, of course, golf with the Caddyshack and all of that fun stuff. There are many, many memories. And Johnny, your brother Johnny, who was in one movie. Let's talk about this because everyone knows Bill Murray and all of his movies. But Johnny, your younger brother Johnny, was in Moving Violations. Not a lot of people know that. And then, of course, Joel with uh, One Crazy Summer and all of the stuff that he did on TV and, and Mad Men and Will and, or not Will and Grace. Um, what's what's the, so- uh, the show that I'm I'm thinking of um, Dharma and Greg. Dharma and Greg, not Will and Grace, different one. Dharma and Greg, but but 
Johnny's story about eating crab, which of course is leading into your recipe for the key lime pie, the best key lime pie for anyone who loves key lime pie I have ever tasted, ever. But that was quite, that was during the filming of Caddyshack, wasn't it? it they were down in uh, a town north of uh, Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Uh, not far, just like right next door, but that's what's old Florida back then time, and they still had dirt roads, a lot of dirt roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they went to Joe's Crab uh, House down in um, in Miami Beach, mm-hmm. uh, the bottom of Miami Beach. You know, you, I know you've got one in Chicago now, and, but it was a little bit different. It, the one in Miami Beach is still the same, but uh, you know, it's one of those things where you get the stone crabs and you get the the the, the, um, the well, you end up with the key lime pie, but you get the sweet potato fries. And, and and the coleslaw, and you just and there you know there was you know a dozen people at this thing, um, so they ate the whole meal, and the person brings a check and says, "Is there anything else?" And Billy looks at them and says, "Yeah, we want to do this whole thing all over again." <laughs> and so they just started all over. They said, "Bring it all! Bring more crabs! Bring more more coleslaw! Bring bring more sweet potato fries!" And uh, yeah. That's, that's a lot of food. That's a lot of food right there. It's a lot of food. But you know what? But, As you, you, know, you, you sat down at the table with your family, and this is an old way of doing things, and I think a lot of people went back to that because of the pandemic, eating with the family. And we talk about raising the vibration and laughter's the best medicine. There was a lot of laughter at the Murray table growing up, wasn't there, Andy? There's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of love. It's, uh, you know, my dad was a very funny man, but he had a very dry sense of humor. Uh, and the trick, if you at the dinner table, if you can make my dad laugh, you knew you were pretty funny. Uh, the rest of us, we were kind of like ducking, missing the one-liners that were going right over our heads because uh, it could have gotten dangerous. But uh, if you can get my dad to laugh, you know, that was like, you know, I got extra stripes in my arm for that one. Yeah. <laughs> and Joel admitted to me when you were putting this book together that he would hide his lima beans in the in the table. Just kind of, there was a little drawer there and he didn't like lima beans at all. So after, you know, many months of hiding the lima beans, that got pretty, that drawer got pretty full. <laughs> It got full. You know, none of us really like lima. I love lima beans now, which is kind of strange because I never liked them when I was young. But now it's like, sure, lima beans, of course. Right. Well, so in your many years, you worked in New York at many, many places, especially Mortimer's, where you kind of learned and got your, well, I wouldn't say you got all of your experience, but a good major chunk of your experience came from being a chef in New York and for cooking and for running front of house and all of the people that came and went from Mike Tyson to Frank Sinatra. And so out of all those fancy pants people that you cooked for, who would you say you wish you could cook for again? Well, Sinatra, because he was a really good tipper. <laughs> there you go. Sinatra was the best tipper. <laughs> Sinatra, Sinatra, we made, you know, Sinatra, they had a, a party, a dinner party. Red Buttons was having it. Sinatra was playing at the garden. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so Red Buttons had sent up this dinner for 12 people, and it was going to be Rack of Lamb, which was our specialty, which is also in the cookbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so they show up after the concert, and all of a sudden, this woman's at the door. She goes, hi, I'm Barbara Sinatra. My husband and I, we don't eat lamb. Is there anything else you can do? And I, I said, well, uh, how do you feel about Dover Soul? She goes, we love Dover Soul. 
so Johnny Marsh, who was our, our fishmonger guy, and I said, Johnny, whip up some, give me a couple of Dover soles. So they go out, they finish the dinner, the dessert, whatever. All of a sudden, Frank Sinatra walks into the kitchen and he looks at me and goes, who made that fish? And I was kind of nervous and I immediately pointed to John Marsh and he goes, that was the best piece of fish I ever tasted. And he hands him $100 and then he proceeds to give $50 to everybody in the kitchen. And there were about 10 of us there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like, yeah, uh, Frank, I, I'll cook for Frank anytime. That's so awesome. And it left a mark, that's for sure. Good old chairman of the board. All right, Chef Andy Murray, Eat, Drink, and Be Murray. We've got some more stories from you, especially one about moving furniture. I believe there was some uh, liquor involved that's a little sweet and a little exotic. Never a dull moment with the Murray family. We'll be right back on WCPT. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. All right. Yes, I am in for Joan. I'm Jennifer Weigel, and I'm so thrilled to be here. Uh, Joan, of course, one of the first unbelievable veterans in the news business that I met when I was interning for ABC. Uh, way back when I was uh, interning for, jeez, oh, my, my father, the late Tim Weigel, uh, was, a lot of people asked me if I was married to Tim Weigel. No, he had lots of wives. I wasn't one of them. <laughs> I was his daughter. He had a couple daughters. I was his first. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, Joan is incredible, and I have some fun Joan uh, stories that involve Andy Avalos, the weatherman, but that's for another time. We'll do that with Joan in person. But going back to what we were talking about before the break, Chef Andy Murray, uh, you are uh, an, not only a great chef, but you have lots of wonderful stories from the family with love into this book. There are some black and white photos never before seen by the public of the family. The Murrays, of course, grew up in Wilmette, Illinois, for those local who know that uh, you guys have some serious roots here and continue to come back every year. You're usually here almost all summer shaking hands and kissing babies at the Caddyshack, uh, Caddyshack and Rosemont, aren't you? Yeah, I you know I I realized real fast that I didn't like the really hot weather in Florida in the summertime and how much I and I really missed the Chicago weather. Yeah, and I also missed my friends with lake houses in, in Wisconsin. So um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've made a point of heading north. Uh, and, you know, by the middle of June, I'm I'm out of Florida. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I never thought I'd be a snowbird, but I am. I How do you feel being in Florida when politically you don't really align with Florida? <laughs> uh, How does that work? It's tough. <laughs> it's tough. I'm, I think I'm sometimes I'm the only Democrat in Northeast Florida, I think. Uh, <laughs> okay. it's, it's pretty strange some days. <laughs> okay. Well, that being said, you know, with everything that sort of blows up, and again, what I like to do when I fill in on the radio is do what everybody's not doing, which is rewiring your brain to think of things that are positive and to come up with some solutions. And I do think that food can be the cure-all to, to so many things. And if you're just tuning in, we are talking with Chef Andy Murray. His book is Eat, Drink, and Be Murray. He also has a YouTube channel, Eat, Drink, and Be Murray on YouTube. You can get lots of recipes there. And if you're going to be entertaining coming up for the Super Bowl, this is something that you need to have. Now, in addition to the, we talked about the radish spread, and we're going to get to the moving furniture in a minute. Um, I would love it if you could talk about the other favorite of Brian's dips. So there's the pecans on top. What are we talking about here? I'm the, a, hot nuts. the hot nuts. The hot this nuts. This is a family staple. Talk about the hot nuts. The hot nuts was actually, my sister Laura invented it. 
Uh, she came up with it. I, I, I trust me. I steal a lot of recipes from my sisters. And, mm-hmm. uh, not so much my brothers, but my sisters. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's a, just another one of those simple recipes. It, it's you know, it's cream cheese and sour cream and some green bell pepper. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think people in Chicago remember having chip beef. You know, there was of chip course. beef on toast, and you know, we had chip beef sandwiches. We, but if you, the combination of this chip beef. Uh, or onion flakes in this and kosher mm-hmm. salt, but you put it in the oven, you top it with nuts. It's and you serve it. Triscuits is real key on this one, <laughs> but um, it's, 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 it's a dish that the first time I had it, and we just we just kept eating it. We kept eating it. We kept eating it, and all of a sudden. Oh, we don't need to have dinner. We just had that. <laughs> so, well, it's it, 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 super it's filling. filling so. It's so filling and it's so easy. So I would say Hot Nuts is an absolute, and I know that one is on the YouTube channel. Definitely get Hot Nuts and take that to every Super Bowl party. Another one that we did when we were doing the publicity for this book was the chili. And there's a story behind the chili, and it's your sister Peggy's recipe. But you all were on vacation. Was it, was it Martha's Vineyard? We were in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, it was... Uh, uh, the year Joel made his movie, uh, One Crazy Summer came out. Okay. Uh, and so it was, uh, we were on, we were on Nantucket Island. We were staying at, uh, Danny Aykroyd's house mm-hmm. and there were 26, there's like 26, 20, 30 immediate family members counting, you know, grandkids and stuff. Um, and you know, there was drinking, there was partying and, uh, uh, Peggy, uh, one day just kind of like nudged me and said, here, try this. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh my God, this is like one of the best chilies I've ever had. Uh, it's, it's very simple. It's, 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 there's no beans in it. It's, it's got, and it doesn't have ground beef in it. It does have beans in it. It does have ground beef. It has, mm-hmm. you know, chuck roast in it that I, I do, but, uh, it's a fabulous dish and it, and it's, it, it, it's so simple. It's just, it's just, there's. It takes a couple hours. It makes the whole house smell uh, amazing, by the time. way. Yeah, it makes everything the smell good. The whole house smells great. Everything smells good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so if you start this in the morning, by the time the football game is on the Super Bowl, you'll be ready. Yeah, it is perfect. And you can get your Eat, Drink, and Be Marie on Amazon right now. It'll be here in time for you to cook and wow people for the Super Bowl. Uh, also, drink recipes in the back, which are huge for the Super Bowl. And Lucille's Old Fashioned, your mom, Lucille, we talked about her earlier in the half hour. And there is the Old Fashioned on tap at the Caddyshack Restaurant in Rosemont, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, we do. <laughs> it's... Uh... It's really good. People like it. We have a great old fashioned. It's my mom's recipe. Yep. But we found we can make we can make a large quantity of it because we sell a good amount of them. Right. Uh, and so it comes right out of the tap. It's pretty cool. Okay, but the other thing, the amazing drink is your Bloody Mary recipe is not your traditional. It's a bloody bull. Let's talk about what it's the heck that means. Bull. Mm-hmm. Well, the bloody bull is well. There's the bull. There's a bloody mary, and then there's a bull shot. Mm-hmm. And the bull shot was is beef broth uh, and vodka, and mm-hmm. the bloody mary is tomato juice and vodka. And this is basically a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's a it's one of those drinks that if you've got a hangover, uh, <laughs> it it 
it, your hangover goes away, and all of a sudden, obviously, before you know it, you've had like three of these things, and, and you're like, well, well, this is great. Let's have another. So, all that protein in the beef broth just did you yeah, right. It's, a, it's all mm-hmm. protein. It's a healthy drink. So maybe you get your vegetables. So actually, tomatoes are fruit. But uh, they have, you know, it depends on your your, your Bloody Mary mix, I guess. So. Well, and speaking of tomatoes, you've got a great story on how you became sort of in search of the perfect tomato. Because as you grew up in Wilmette, Illinois, across the street from the Malincott, um a convent? Was it a is it a convent? It was a convent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the Sisters of Christian Charity had a convent there. Okay, and they had you know the novices that train they were training young nuns to be there, but they had this one nun who we called her the German nun, and she was German, but she was a gardener and she had a she had a a field of vegetables and, and, and fruits that were unbelievable, and then they had all these apple trees and cherry trees and pear trees. And my brothers and I, you know, my younger brothers, we would go over there and raid steal cherries, you know. Sure. Eat cherries. Get your snacks. And, you know, you come home and you got cherry juice all over your face. But uh, usually the nuns couldn't catch you because we were, you know, we were younger and we were faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one day I turned the wrong corner and bam, I ran right into this nun. Uh-oh. Uh, and I was like, just like, whoa. And I was like, I was, I was pretty scared. I thought I was going to get, just going to get walloped. Mm-hmm. And she sticks this thing into my face and it, it's an apple, but it's not an apple. It's a tomato. <laughs> and I'm like, and she goes, eat, eat. And I'm like, well, it's not slides. Eat, no, eat it like an apple. Mm-hmm. So I ate this thing. I took a bite out of this thing. It was the best tomato I've ever had. And I've had some pretty good tomatoes, but I've been looking for that tomato ever since. Wow. Uh, the closest thing I can find, you know, Jersey tomatoes are really good. But, you know, it's it's all about, you know, the time of year. Mm-hmm. Sister Fried Berta is her name, and she's right here in Eat, Drink, and Be Murray in the chapter Home is Where the Heart Is. We've got pictures in here of the family and also of the nuns at the Mellencott uh, Convent while they're tending to their garden. It's just full of incredible, beautiful pictures and then stories and recipes on top of it. But so in the, uh, in the booze chapter, going back to that, let's talk about Blame It on the Calvados for a second, which is uh, kind of what gets the tone of the 19th whole chapter going, because that entire extravaganza, uh, when your brother Bill was in town, you decided to go to dinner, and um, Calvados is what exactly? I know it prompted quite a little... Calvados is, a, is, an, apple, is an apple brandy. Okay. Uh, and so we... Um, is it a pear brandy? No, it's, it's, that's poor. That's an apple brandy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had my sister-in-law, Tina, Brian's wife's father had died. He was a big time basketball coach down in Kansas. And so we had decided the family was going to go down to the memorial service. Uh, so I had been staying at Laura and Bob's house part of the summer. Uh, that's my sister, Laura and Bob, who bought our my mother's house after she passed. So this is the house uh, where you all grew up and you were all, what, three boys in a bedroom? It was just everyone was on top of each other but loved it. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. you didn't know, you know. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, it was perfect. Right. You know, I heard great stories in the middle of the night, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so so my sister and Laura, they go, Bob, they, they go out. And uh, uh, Billy and I, this is a couple of days before we're supposed to leave because he had come in early. And he goes, I come downstairs and he's looking around. He goes, where's everybody? And I said, oh, they went out. And he goes, 
know, we should move all the furniture. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 this is a bad idea. Uh, and so I talk him out of it, and we go out and we play golf, and we come back. And we had to pick up my sister Nancy, who's a Dominican nun at the train station. Uh, so we go and pick her up, and she's got a suitcase that weighs about 800 pounds. And we <laughs> struggle to get it into the car. Uh, but so we go to this, uh, this French place up in, uh, in Winnetka. And so having this wonderful meal, uh, and we're laughing, and we're, there's wine, and you know, and there's some cocktails, and and we end up, in, we start, the the chef sends out this shots of Calvados for us, you know, a little snifter, uh, and so Billy starts telling Nancy this idea about moving the furniture, uh, and she just starts laughing. She thinks it's so funny. And I'm thinking, no, 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 this is a really, really bad idea. Because your brother-in-law, yeah, Bob, likes everything in the same uh, spot. My brother-in-law, Bob, he's, he's got, he's got an Austrian background. He, you know, his, his, his relatives are from Austria. You know, he likes his things. He likes his things. He doesn't like, you know, not a whole lot of change. So you get back. Um, what so, happens? We only got a minute here, Marie, so I want to hear the rest of it. <laughs> so we get back, and we, st- we get back to the house, and Billy starts moving the furniture. And all of a sudden, I realized if I don't help him, we're going to break furniture. And so I'm in there, and I'm helping him move. So all of a sudden, the back room is in the living room, and the living room is in the kitchen. The kitchen's in the dining room. The dining room's over there in the back room. It's just... <laughs> and we were like, oh, my God. And we went to bed, and we both slept badly, and we came down the next morning, and we looked, and we just started giggling. <laughs> We we ended up spending about five hundred dollars sending flowers to my sister and brother in law, but because uh, they ended uh, up, you couldn't move it back before they got home from the funeral. We couldn't get it back. Honey was supposed to go back early, and, it, and he was going to help do it, but he couldn't do it. So our friend Bubba Phillips did it. This uh, he's got it. some guys, and they moved it. He got Bubba. All right, Andy. Well, Chef Andy Murray's book, Eat, Drink, and Me, Murray, is perfect for the Super Bowl. Thank you for all you do, for all your stories, and, of course, the YouTube channel, Eat, Drink, and Me, Murray. we got to get to the news, Andy, but as always, so great to hear from you. Thanks for everything. Thanks, Jen. Appreciate it. You got Take it. Care. It's a great book, great stories. Everyone out there should get it. Right now, we've got to get to some news and information. This is WCPT. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm Jennifer Weigel, in for Joan Esposito. It's an honor to be here in the chair on WCPT. A lot of you don't know this, but today is National Fun at Work Day. And so with that in mind, we had to have the Laughing Academy in the studio. The Laughing Academy, if you don't know, you better start getting versed on what they have and what they are offering. Thanks to um, the Majestic... Kim. Kim Hiller is incredible in the sense that she helped create the Laughing Academy. The Laughing Academy in Glenview. It's a place to be. It's a destination. And it is full of programming and comedians and camps. And this was like a dream and then it became a reality. Tell us what happened. Yeah, absolutely. It is it, it is a dream of mine. It has been um, since the fourth grade, really. I said, I, uh, I want to be an actress, but I also want to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. 
And then when I was 22, I filled a whole journal about how I wanted to teach performing arts to kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when I was 42, <laughs> I finally opened the Laughing Academy, um, or 41 when I started the Laughing Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, t- we teach improv to ages 5 to, we say, 105. My oldest student is 77 right now. Nice. And we teach stand-up and storytelling, but now we also have this studio that we opened for a little more than four years ago where we have all sorts of programming as well. Um, my connections to the Second City mean I'm bringing you the top improvisers in town when we do improv shows. We do stand-up shows on the regular with the be- a rotating roster of the best of Chicago's comics. Well, you trained with the best, and Second City is the best. And back in the day, you had some encounters with some pretty fabulous people, didn't you? Yes, I'm, I've said this many, many times, but uh, I was hired at the Second City at the mm-hmm. same time as Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Yeah. I like to point out, though, that they host the Golden Globes, and if you come to the last Laughing Academy, I host you on a stage that my husband built. Very good. So, a little different. <laughs> but my first teacher was Steve Carell, and I was later uh, taught and directed by Steve Colbert. So yeah. I did get to meet some of the famous people before they were famous, yeah. but you could see the talent even then, back in the early 90s. And as a teacher, and as you're kind of percolating with these, you know, you're fostering this incredible talent, wouldn't it be amazing if you see some of these young, I'm I'm sure you see something in these kids where you're like, I know they're going to be doing great things. I I do, although I say I teach from the point of view that I'm not trying to raise a bumper crop of actors, Mm -hmm. just uh, more fulfilled and contributing citizens, um, which any of the performing arts, but in my opinion, particularly also the comedic performing arts can help foster uh, that in their lives. But we do. Uh, one of the very first students I taught back in, well, this was back in 2012. He's now a senior at University of Michigan in the theater department and mm-hmm. still comes back and works summer camps for me. So in my non-effort to raise uh, actors, I, I already have a few launched. So. Okay, so there you go. We were talking earlier about summer camps and where to get on it, and everybody's sort of got that bug come February, which is basically next week. So you do have camps available. Are there spots available for kids, aspiring improvers and comedians and storytellers? Uh, we do. We have summer camps for grades uh, K through high school. Okay. Um, and we do one week a la carte. So you can pick a week that works for you. You can come all eight weeks um, and they're spread throughout the summer. Um, and different weeks. We, we do the young ones all summer long and then we take turns whether we're teaching high school or middle school. Oh, it's And it's so much fun because they really bond in that amount of time working together, put on a show every Friday. Of course, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Kim Hiller. The Laughing Academy is in Glenview, and they've got programs to keep you laughing in this landscape that is impossible to laugh sometimes. Now, with the stand-up nights, which I've been honored to be a part of the stage uh, last year, I did it uh, for, I can't remember, it was, I believe, Funnier by the Lake was was producing that with Larry. And, you know, it was it was so much fun, but I have to tell you, I, I'd rather do an hour and a half than seven minutes. It's very intimidating <laughs> to try to cram an hour and a half show into a seven minute act, but with each comedian, you learn so much watching them do what they do. And of course, politics comes into it because our landscape is so ripe for the picking with all of the humor that comes out of it. But you have sort of different themes. Tell the audience what they can expect if they come to your place for a stand up night. Yeah, so we have different comedians um, each, each show that we have, and mm-hmm. sometimes we do also have 
themes. And I, I think that's a lot of fun. We've got one coming up that I think is going to be great in March. Um, it is Millennial versus um, Gen X. And ah. so the co- there are four comics, two from each of those sectors. Mm-hmm. And then the audience gets to vote on which generation's the funniest. So that's, that's <laughs> a, a fun one. Um, of course, uh, Mother and Father's Day, we do all mom or dad comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, well, on, on April 20th, we've got a fun theme. What is it? Um, well, that would be the THC theme, you know, because oh, it's April 20th. Of course, 420. Uh, 420. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh-huh. And then, uh, yeah. So <laughs> Sorry, we, it took me a minute. <laughs> says the mother with a senior in high school. Like, what's my problem? Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, so we have, a, we have a lot of different things. But we also, like you say, when we have, um, when we have Desi Night is always, that one sells out very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all Asian comics. Mm-hmm. So um, when we have um, when we have a show, even if it's not a theme type show, you're getting to hear different voices. We really focus on that, um, different genders, different mm-hmm. cultural backgrounds, so that you're you are in one night. You're getting different perspectives because to me, that's what the genius behind comedy was. I, I just wrote something about this the other day because I so deeply respect the comedians that work mm-hmm. for us and and how hard they work. Mm-hmm. Any minute you're here, and you know this as a, one of the comedians who's worked for us, any minute of laughter from the audience, there are hours of practice and writing and, and trying and failing and succeeding again behind that minute of laughter. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they're able to do is diffuse the power of things that scare us by showing us their view and the, the comedy in it, right. whether that be a political point of view that scares you or whether that be the, you know, COVID. Think about how scary that was and how how many comedians left right in to go, hey, let's, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep you laughing. It, um, amongst other things, it really is uh, physiologically good for you to laugh. It releases endorphins. It exercises your heart mm-hmm. and lungs. Mm-hmm. It's really good for you. But it's also that laughter is a shared thing. Right. So we're less alone when we're sharing in the, la- in the laughter um, with someone. Think of it when you are alone and something strikes you funny. Mm-hmm. The first thought you have after that is who you got to tell. Oh, of who you're going to share this <laughs> exactly. with. Exactly. So um, it is... Uh, also a unifying thing to share laughter. All right, we're going to talk about more ways that you can share your laughter coming up. We do have a quick giveaway that we have right now, so everybody get ready for this. The Lyric Opera of Chicago invites you, oh, the Lyric Opera, come <laughs> on, talk about a venue, to a grand-scale, new-to-Chicago production of Rossini's Cinderella, from the overture to the happily ever after. This comic fairy tale will delight the whole family. Cinderella runs now until February 10th. To learn more, visit lyricoperahouse.org. Luckily for you, W. WCPT is in partnership with the Lyric, and they've got tickets that we want to give you right now. So, uh, the contest is running on WCPT, and it's open to all listeners, 18 or older, residents of the greater Chicagoland and northwest Indiana area, and of course, one entry per person, one winner per household, void where prohibited by law. Listeners may only win or qualify to win once every 30 days. So, do not dial if you've already won within the last month. Complete rules are available at our website, WCPTA20.com, or by clicking the contest tab. Call now 773-763-WCPT. More with Kim and the Laughing Academy after this. Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We got a winner. We got a winner. Let's open the phones. Can we talk to our winner, Louie? Oh, oh, hi there. Hi, Louie. Do you like the lyric? Yes, I do. <laughs> do you like to laugh? I do. Actually, I think it's the best medicine. There you go. So this is your day. I'm so excited for you. 
Louis is our winner, and he's going to be going to the Lyric. And I'm really curious now because I didn't realize that they made sort of a funny version of Cinderella, and because uh, it's really quite yeah. tragic uh, for many people, <laughs> especially the stepsisters. But this is so cool. Any experience at the Lyric is worth, and you are actually supporting not only incredible arts, but uh, the entire project that the Lyric does, everything that they do is an exceptional experience. So congratulations and thanks for calling in. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Have a great weekend. (laughs) All right. Louis is our winner and so... He likes to laugh, and that's good, because you are with the Laughing Academy for those who are just tuning in. I'm Jen Weigel, in for Joan Esposito. More on me at jenweigel.com, J-E-N-W-E-I-G-E-L.com. For the Laughing Academy website, go ahead, Kim, what's that? That is thelaughingacademy.com, and that's our handle on Instagram and Facebook, too. Okay, perfect. Finding you there. Now, for you as a former performer now running an academy, a school, a place where people perform, if anyone's listening right now and they think, I'd like to bring my show or my ideas or my storytelling to the Laughing Academy, should they just reach out? Yep, just uh, reach out through the website. There's mm-hmm. a, a clear place where they can find to send messages, and mm-hmm. that we have gotten shows there that way we because uh, we do all sorts of things we do storytelling shows as mm-hmm. well one man shows w- one person shows i'm mm-hmm. sorry i've got a one woman show could i bring it to the laughing i family? would love that Ooh, maybe this summer yes because thanks to you i'm going to be at the oil lamp theater in glenview i connected to that theater thanks to you and they said we've got this great space we'd love to have you so yes march 7th and 8th i'll be doing i'm spiritual damn it at the oil lamp, bringing it back after a decade of dormancy. I know. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm so like, excited I'm about like, that. Okay. So anyway, I'd love to bring it to the Laughing Academy. But the point is, if anybody out there is listening and you want to just go and laugh, oh, this is the best part after the laughter <laughs> is the karaoke. Yep. Uh, that started everything. I, I've been thinking about my business because it does keep shifting, evolving, and changing. We, yeah. We're 13 years as the Laughing Academy now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and it all happens organically. And the after show event of karaoke (laughs) emerged because you know we had music playing and a live mic on stage and I have some friends who are professional musicians and they just jumped up one night and started singing along to the music that was playing in the house and all of a sudden we're like this is something we could offer it's fun right so I'm also that I love that for so many reasons I'm giving a stage to Mm -hmm. people who don't normally get on stage right um, for all of these things most of the people that come to the Laughing Academy at any age are there for the love of the art. Mm-hmm. Um, at many places where I trained in the city, their goal is to get you ready for a professional performance career. And most of the people there are, are hoping for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a noble goal. It's not our goal. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, like you, as we discussed earlier, it has happened. I do have um, students who've gone on to, to do big things. But um, our real goal is just to improve your current life through the performing arts. Perfect. So, yeah, we love it. Giving people a stage. I have so many retirees now taking our um, improv and storytelling and stand-up classes. And I love it because there they are in a time in their life where it might be hard to make new friends. Mm -hmm. And they're making friends with people whose paths might never have crossed theirs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love it. Love hearing them, again, share that laughter from the other room. So my son did your summer camp one summer, and he was Mr. Behind the Scenes. And he still is. He's like, I don't want to be on the stage, Mom. I just want to be the guy behind the scenes. But I think he did okay. I think he held his own when he did it. And it kind of got him to be... 
better in front of people and to speak clearly in front of people, those things, because kids now are always in their devices and they're just mumbling. For any parent out there that is listening, I highly recommend a camp like this at the Laughing Academy because you will get the kids off the phones for a few hours, right? Uh, I have this high school uh, house team that I love. Uh, that's a troop of improvisers. And uh, there are, my rule has always been no cell phones in the training center or in the, in the room. Right. And so they came in and they started this and they still do it to this day. Unsolicited when I said that, they created this little stack of phones where one goes left, one goes right. But mm-hmm. they every time, with, without an argument, just put them over there and then they're not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. There's like nothing in 90, the next 90 minutes that anybody needs you for. And if they do, you, your parents have my number. Right. <laughs> they can call. Well, think about it. And I, I think people don't realize this. We used to be okay. We would go to dinner for several hours. Or our parents, sorry, would go to dinner. And then I remember my dad would go to the Lyric Opera and I would look at the clock and go, okay, I have at least four hours to do things that I probably shouldn't. But they'll be coming back after dinner and the opera. That's a good window of time. There was no tracking. There was no, you know, if, if the car broke down on the way home, I'd be like, gosh, they're really late. What happened? Yeah. We We survived. <laughs> we, we we always laugh because no episode of Seinfeld works today because of that. Like, right. they all would have found each other at the restaurant, you know? They would have called or texted. Like, <laughs> but somehow we all did get by. Do you remember calling um, Collect to your parents and just when they said, this is a call from, you'd just go, pick me up at the park. Yeah. And like, exactly. <laughs> I'm okay. I'll be late. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's so we true. We found a way. When I was a kid, we had, when I was a kid, we had a landline, of course, as many people did, that had a cord and it was in the hallway. And my brother and I would do our homework in the hallway, waiting for it to ring because my mom was a news anchor at WGN radio and had to be up at 3.30 in the morning. Her name was Kathy Worthington. And so my she had all the phone ring off at 7.30 p.m. Well, that didn't work for high school kids. Yeah. So we'd have to sit in the hallway doing our homework, and it had a light that flashed oh my gosh. when it would ring. And we would go, you know, tackle each other to try to be the first one to grab the phone and then take that long cord and wind it into your room for some privacy. Yep. Oh, the things we had to do. <laughs> And we got through it, didn't we? We're still here. We're still here. (laughs) So with those classes and teaching people to be in communication, I'm sure you also teach them to be a writer and be an advocate. And is there is there like workshops where people can bring some of their content and just sort of see like open mic type things, like what works? Yes, we do. We have an open mic the second Tuesday of every month. We run it at a local brewery in Glenview because our establishment is BYOB for uh-huh. one for one reason. So you can have a beard, come to our open mic. Um, and we also run it there because we teach till 830 at night. So there weren't mm-hmm. and do shows on the weekends. So there wasn't any space for this. Um, and it's 1090 Brewery um, on Waukegan Road in Glenview, which is a great brewery. And it's run by the incredibly talented Laura Hug uh, mm-hmm. runs our open mic. Okay. And what do you do for those people that say they have just too much stage fright? I mean, I'm sure you've had it before where people are getting ready to go on and they're like, I can't do this. I I was going to say it's improv is is helpful for that because you're never up there alone, yes, right? So yes. that, I think that's kind of the easiest mm-hmm. gateway in. But I also say, because I'll get this from young people and adults alike about shyness. And I say, well, I'll tell you what, I don't want to change your nature mm-hmm. because shy is a word 
It's not a thing. It's a word that we've assigned to people who have a lot of other amazing attributes because they don't speak up so quickly. Right. I'm not one of those people, but I'm going to tell you some wonderful things about them. Um, they listen more than they speak. Mm-hmm. So they're great listeners. And because of that, they have form deeper friendships because they wait longer to commit to a friendship or move forward with someone. Um, they're thoughtful. And in improv, by the way, they're the ones who keep track of all the facts. When the big idea person is spewing out so many different things, they sometimes lose track. That mm-hmm. person is is a value, has a lot of valuable things attached to the quality that we call shy. So I don't want to change it. I want to do this. I just want to make it easier for you mm. when you want to speak up or when you have to because of your job, because of school, because when you have to. I just want to give you the tools so that when you choose to, it's easier for you. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to change your nature. Right. That, that's just a word. That's a concept that we've created to call you shy. But there are a lot of other great things that go behind that that I don't want to change. Like I don't want to mess with uh, someone who's a good listener and uh, thinks before they speak. Right. Absolutely. Well, it's such a great practice to remember, too. Um, and then yes, and. Let's tell the listener who doesn't know what that means. What that means. So that's uh, known as sort of the cornerstone of improvisation, is that um, our players say yes and to each other's ideas. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, because this gets kicked around a lot in the art, in the improv arts discussions. It doesn't mean that my character agrees with everything. Your character says, I love cake. I can still hate cake, but I have to acknowledge that there's a cake if you've created it. I'm saying yes to your creative initiation, Mm -hmm. and therefore we can move forward. When you picture yourself at any meeting you've ever been at, PTA, a board meeting, your office meeting, um, let's do a brainstorming session, and someone spouts out an idea. Mm -hmm. Now, Almost the first inclination of most people in the room is to find the problem with that. And they're not trying to be mean. They honestly think they're helping in finding this problem. What if I said to you, you have to find the thing in this idea that's workable? Yes, that. And your and is your solution to whatever that problem was that you saw. Mm -hmm. You can't just because saying no is easy. We don't have to move to action. Right. I wish we could implement this in our politics. <laughs> oh, that has been so lost. In fact, yes. I've been hired recently to do a number of talks about improv and how an improv mindset can help um, improve communication and getting things done. Right. And one of the ones that they were talking about is civil discourse has just been lost. It has. You know? And so we aren't seeing the value in one another's ideas. This country was founded on a lot of arguing and disagreement, mm-hmm. but also spending the commit- committed time as we are the group that whether we disagree or not is going to continue to try and work on this. And part of that is mm-hmm. seeing the value and where we do agree mm-hmm. as opposed to only focusing on what the differences are. I think it was Voltaire that says something. I will, I will fight. Uh, you know, I can disagree with you, but I will fight to the death to give you that opportunity to have, you know, a different belief system. I mean, it's, it's just, but people now are just fighting to oh. the death just to fight to the death. When I was growing up, my father and I had completely different politics. We felt differently about religion, everything. And my mom at the dinner table would say, do we have to fight again? And I'd say, fight? I go, I'm talking to the smartest man I know. So one of two things is about to happen. He will change my mind or he'll force me to fight so fiercely to explain why I feel what I feel that I'll understand it better. Mm. And that's what it should be, right? Mm. That I... I still love my dad and we weren't unkind. We weren't personal or unkind, but we disagreed. And so we'd talk it out so that either he changes my mind or reinforces what I think. I learn better what I think if I'm forced to defend it. Yeah. So I also feel, too, that uh, feedback has lost 
its place. There can be feedback. People see feedback as judgment and hate, but sometimes feedback is needed. There's also a difference between confidence and arrogance. Confidence. Here's the deal: you want the confident pilot flying your plane. <laughs> you want the confident heart surgeon doing your open heart surgery. <laughs> Now, the arrogant pilot, the arrogant heart surgeon. I really don't care for you. But confidence. You listening right now in your car? You're confident that you're going to turn on this radio station, or you're confident that you're going to. You know the way to work. But it doesn't have to bring in arrogance, and that's where I think we have lost the ability to give feedback and the ability to have confidence without arrogance attached. You're creating at the Laughing Academy a bunch of confident performers. It's not about being a star and about being arrogant. Yeah, that's exactly what we say. I always like we are a constellation, but there are no stars. Just <laughs> sit and think about that. <laughs> awesome. So we shine together. That's it. <laughs> we shine together. TheLaughingAcademy.com is where you need to go. Kim Hiller, thank you for bringing your lovely husband. Happy early birthday, Jason. <laughs> uh, the two of you have worked magical things, and Kim, your vision has been. Uh, just an unbelievable inspiration to watch. So keep doing that great work that you're doing, and hopefully I'll see you with I'm Spiritual Damn It this summer. Oh, you bet! I love that. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, yes. And we also have some time before we get to the news. Very quickly, another contest. So get ready. It is time for the Capital Fools. Okay. Speaking of plays mm-hmm. at the North Shore Center for in Skokie, this is February third and fourth. Capital Steps is back, performing all the beloved bits over the top impressions. And all the new song parodies reflecting the day's news. Okay, <laughs> can we go? Can we make a field trip and go, you guys? Yes, yeah, I love this. Don't miss the fun of Capital Fools. It's at the North Shore Center in Skokie, February third and fourth. And luckily, of course, we've got a few pairs for you. And if you don't uh, win, and you don't have to, you know, look like a fool because we're just going to go anyway. And Kim and Jason and I will go, and <laughs> we'll just wish you were there with us. But please, this contest is running here on WCPT, and it's open to listeners eighteen or older, residents of the Greater. Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana area, and of course one entry per person. Okay, one winner per household. Please remember this: listeners can only win or qualify to win every 30 days. Complete rules are available on the website wcpt820.com or by clicking the contest tab. Good luck. We've got some news and information, and then we are back after that. I'm Jen Weigel in for Joan Esposito here on WCPT. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is 333. That is a sacred number right there for those who are into numerology and stuff. I'm one of those people. Uh, I am Jen Weigel in for Joan Esposito. It is a thrill to be here. I'm here until 5 o'clock. We've got uh, John St. Augustine joining us uh, in, oh, Less than a half an hour, about a half an hour, as well as we're going to be talking about brain mapping uh, and all sorts of cool things. And I am very thrilled with our guest that is joining us coming up here now. For those who know, um, my father Tim Weigel passed away from a brain tumor. Believe it or not, it was. 23 years ago, 2001, when Tim Weigel passed away from a brain tumor, and at that time I was working as a journalist, a very skeptical kind of. Ah, everything you know. If it bleeds, it leads. That was our mentality in the news business. That's what you. That's what you focused on. And so, uh, when he passed away, I sort of went on this journey to interview these people that claim that they have these supernatural powers that they could talk to the other side and all that. Because I didn't believe in any of it, and I thought, as somebody who's grieving, you got to go do your due diligence, do your research, get your sources. And I thought I would be writing a manual about how this is all complete BS. Well. Uh, 
four books later and eight audiobooks later, I'm having many interviews. I've got so many audiobooks on different subjects from near-death experiences to intuition is your superpower. And one of the classes that I teach on Zoom, actually, in the pandemic, I went to a Zoom format for a lot of my classes, is called Anxiety is Your Superpower, because it can become your superpower if you figure out how to use your operating system. So uh, joining us on the phone is the main theme of that class, Anxiety is Your Superpower, Nick Lodato. Nick, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Hey, Jen. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So Nick is all the way uh, from New York, and I met Nick through his mentor, author, and teacher, Pat Longo. Pat Longo wrote the book, The Gifts Beneath Your Anxiety. She helps people deal with their anxiety, and what we end up finding out is most people who are extremely anxious are actually empathic and intuitive. Your wiring system is going in a different direction than, you know, say, the person next to you, and that's okay. It's not wrong. It's just a little different manual. Isn't that right, Nick? Yeah, no, that's a great way to put it. And um, I mean, you're so awesome with all the work you do. And Pat Longo is also so um, vital to this kind of spiritual world and this anxiety world. And I love talking about, you know, how it was for me just growing up. The anxiety was so crazy. I had to, I was a big sport player growing up. I had to stop playing sports. I couldn't really hang out with friends, couldn't be in crowded situations, malls, the city, you know, going to New York City was like a nightmare for me. And really, the best way I describe it to my clients and and, and what I've kind of explained on your show before is it's really just like energy, right? So everything is energy. The the past loved ones around us, people carrying around their own energies. You think about how many you walk around all day, you're thinking of you're thinking of all these different things you have to do, these emotions you're experiencing. And really, I mean, I guess my ability and I, I don't think it's you know, just me, I think it's so many people who probably don't really talk about it. Uh, which is why I like talking about it, is they experience these, um, basically these emotions or this energy, they can feel it, they experience it, and it causes anxiety within them. And if you think of it like that, it kind of makes sense. It's like, you know, we kind of have this little bubble that is around us, and you're so open, you know, that you're experiencing these other people's energy that's flying into your bubble, and your body is like, what the heck is going on? What is this? And then it kind of leads to having this anxiety and you have this, this feeling, this panic feeling, your heart rate goes up, you get clammy, you sweat, and you don't know where it's coming from. You just have to get the heck out of there wherever you are. And, uh, you know, what I've learned through Pat and uh, we've talked about it and we talk about it at your workshop is, is how to control this energy and, and therefore controlling the anxiety. So it's really, really interesting. So you talk a lot about this. And for those who are listening right now, Nick Lodato works in a hospital as a nurse. Are you still in the ICU, Nick? Where are you now? Yeah, I've transitioned out of the ICU, but I spent about seven years uh, working bedside as a, as a registered nurse in the ICU. Now I work as a nurse practitioner mm-hmm. um, on a little bit of an easier uh, avenue, which I'm <laughs> grateful for. But, oh, the hospital is a wild place for this. So imagine having all of these anxieties where you're feeling other people's emotions. It's called empath or intuitive. And many people listening, I'm sure, have this, but just don't know what it is, don't understand the operating system. And I liken it to a 
cell phone. It's got radiation. It's pulsating out. It's looking for a signal all the time. Right now, your phone is looking for a text or a cell tower or whatever it is. It could also be likened to a microwave. You put something in, you press a button, some extreme heat, but microwaves will come from certain things, certain technology. Even your computer screen is emanating this sort of radiation in a way. And we know that physically that can harm the system because people have lightened it to tumors or cancers or whatever to too much exposure, right? To too, to too much. If you don't mm-hmm. understand how to protect yourself, you, Nick, learned through Pat Longo and, and her helping to work with you. You couldn't leave the house, but after you started working and understanding your operating system that you actually were taking on other people's sludge, you could finally figure yeah. it out and, and leave the house and, and thrive instead of just survive. Oh, big time. Yeah, it was it was like a kind of a little bit of a miracle for me. You know, if you think of it this way, like I was basically living in in soup. I I couldn't really tell the difference between what was mine, what was somebody else's. And, you know, Pat kind of taught me this uh, ground surround and shield method, which is more or less fancy terms for just grounding yourself and protecting yourself, putting yourself in that energetic bubble, you know, Imagine your feet kind of firmly on the ground, you know, really kind of being in your own energy, kind of puffing up your energy. And what that did for me was just separate. Okay, this is mine, and I can kind of feel what's mine. Mm -hmm. And then now I can kind of feel what somebody else is, and I can feel, okay – this energy is flying off this person. This energy feels sad. What does this mean? This person's going through something and la, la, la. Kind of from there, it developed. I never really thought that I'd be reading people. I never thought that controlling my anxiety would lead into, like, connecting with the other side or connecting with people's emotions and feelings and what's happening in their life. But um, it just kind of sort of happened that way. And and I think that's what's great. We talk about in the workshop, um, you know, we kind of talk about how be prepared because when you do this, you know, when you kind of control your own anxiety, control your energy, uh, it really leads to self-expansion, self-growth. Right. And you're just, you get, you get, you get so good at, you know what I've been describing it too. And I think Jen, you've said it this way too. Energy is like a language. And as you know, the tools that I was learned, you know, uh, the tools that I was taught and the, and, and the things that I practice, I kind of teach in the, in the workshop and it, it basically is their tools to help you understand and translate energy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of how it happens for me. So imagine right now we all know that a dog could hear a whistle that is so high-pitched that only the dog can hear, but people cannot. That is what this intuitive, empathic community is dealing with. You're hearing a frequency that not everybody hears. Now, why are all these ramped-up things of tinnitus? A lot of times it's actually a frequency change. It could be something as simple as just kind of getting a hold of your frequency, getting a control-alt-delete, if you will, and saying, okay, I'm going to breathe right now. This is a physio logical knowledge that you can track your heart rate. You can slow it down. And for those who are just tuning in, Nick Lodato, a nurse right now, a nurse practitioner who also figured out how to use his intuitive languaging, rather. You are an intuitive, and we have an, a workshop tomorrow at noon called Anxiety. Uh, uh, anxiety is your superpower, believe it or not, because once you figure out how to work with this operating system, like you said, Nick, it's a language. You learn that language. You can start to feel it. Know thyself. And then you can start figuring out what's yours and what's not yours. I'm going to give an example. When I was a a columnist at the Chicago Tribune, I I was sitting in my little cubicle. You know, you have these little cubicles. And I was writing my column, Lessons for Life. And I was doing my thing. And I'm just minding my own business, Nick. 
And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, I get this spiking pain in my stomach. Like someone just took, you know, literally an ice pick into my stomach. And I'm like, oh, did I eat something at lunch? Like, what just happened? And because I've been doing so much research on all of this, and this was good 10 years ago, I thought to myself, no, wait a minute. That just came out of nowhere. Is this mine or someone else's? Like, am I picking up on something in in the atmosphere right. like that could be coming from somewhere else? And I stood up, and the woman right across from me on the other side of the cubicle had just been given her notice that she was fired. And she was mm. packing her box and weeping. Now, I couldn't see her because I was behind the cubicle wall. But I could feel her because just like that cell phone tower emanating a signal, she was pulsating out pain, discomfort, and panic. And I was feeling it. Now, I'm telling this story because if there's anyone that's listening that suddenly you feel panicked and you don't know why. Suddenly you feel a pain and you don't know why. You start crying out of nowhere. It very well might be that you're an empath. Google it. Take the quiz. There's about 20 versions of it online. And get the book, The Gifts Beneath Your Anxiety, that Pat Longo wrote that Nick uses. Because this might be that you're super intuitive and you just don't know it. Yeah. No, that's such a great story. I love when you share that story because it just speaks to how, you know, there's so much we don't know about the human brain and the soul and really what's happening. It almost like reminds me of metaphysics, right? And it's just, if you think of it, it just makes sense. When somebody is, we know, right? If you think of like a thermal camera, the body emanates heat, right? Right. So what else is it emanating? What else are we picking up on? And that's what's so, you know, just being based in medicine and being based in science, I always like to, you know, you lead with, like you said, you, you started this work with skeptics. You work and you're like, you know, what is going on? What's really happening? But then when so much happens and there's so much that we don't know, you're kind of just open, you know, to, to the possibility. Like, you know what? Maybe this is not mine. Like you said, like, maybe this is not mine. Maybe this is someone else's. You, you, made, a, you, you made a good point earlier, like a cell phone tower. There's so many people. And that's why I love talking about this stuff because there's so many. I call them underground psychics. There's so <laughs> many people out there that are so sensitive and so in, t- in tune with their emotions and empathic and they don't share it. You know, they may have experiences with the other side. They may have experiences with the people around them, but they just kind of keep it quiet. But I love to talk about it because I want to kind of normalize it, you know? Absolutely. And that's what we do in the workshop. Anxiety is your superpower. If you want to join us, it's at noon tomorrow, uh, noon tomorrow on Zoom. It's on Zoom. So you can be anywhere. JenWeigel.com is where you can go and you click on the Spiritual Social Club tab to get more information. And if you want to reach Nick Lodato, you can email him NickSpiritual1, the number one, at gmail.com. Can you stick with us through the commercial break, Nick? I want to ask you some questions about working in a hospital, working as a nurse practitioner and then dealing with all this intuitive stuff and I just have a few thoughts that I want to ask about. Can you hang for a few minutes? Sure thing, yep. Okay, awesome. I'm Jen Weigel in for Joan Esposito. You are listening to WCPT. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Jen Weigel in for Jonas Bezito. We are on the phone with Nick Lodato. Nick is a nurse practitioner working out of the uh, New York area. I believe it's Long Island or in that general vicinity. I met Nick several years ago because his spiritual teacher, Pat Longo, uh, best-selling author of the book, The Gifts Beneath Your Anxiety, helped Nick cope with his anxieties, though now he understands how to use his intuitive toolbox. And it all starts with know thyself. Get your healing hygiene going, as we say. And we've got a workshop tomorrow. Anxiety is your superpower because once you figure out how to wield that sword, it's like a Marvel comic, isn't it, Nick? Oh, yeah, big time. It's like you said, know thyself. And and the power kind of comes from inside out. It's kind of amazing. 
So have you ever had any conversations now? It's interesting. Dr. Mary Neal is a uh, orthopedic surgeon that I interviewed. She, mm-hmm. uh, many people know her because of the movie. Uh, she's been in a lots of surviving death, these Netflix series, and uh, she has the best-selling book, uh, To Heaven and Back. And she was without oxygen for 30 minutes. She was dead for 30 minutes. And so she knows wow. she should be a vegetable, right? You know that as a nurse practitioner. Yeah. You, you know medicine. When you're without oxygen for 30 minutes, you shouldn't be functioning. <laughs> you just shouldn't. Yeah, correct. Um, So she makes it a point when she's in her practice to talk to all of her patients about, you know, their bigger picture. What do they believe in? What are they outside of this human body? What do you what is sort of your spiritual compass? What is your faith? What do you believe in? Have you had any heart to hearts with any doctors? And do you talk to any of the doctors at the hospital where you work and in the medical facilities about your intuitive abilities? Have you been able to have any open conversations like that? Yeah, I tend to be, that's a really good question. I feel like most of the conversations I have about intuition and uh, empathicness, emotions and whatnot, and, and believing in a higher power are with the patients themselves. Uh-huh. You know, I try not to divulge too much, um, you know, personal information. I kind of try and make it like, okay, let's talk about you. What, how are you feeling? Do you feel fear? What is going on? What, you know, what do you have questions about? But it's deeper than the medicine. You know, I like mm-hmm. to kind of get into the um, kind of like the nitty gritty of the emotions and whatnot. Um, um, you know, the physicians, it's 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 interesting because I do feel like there's there's part of them that I can talk to about it and kind of be open with, and they kind of have um, more of an open mind and an understanding, I should say, mm-hmm. of, of of more of a of a whole body, whole soul approach. I like to call it. Okay. Uh, you know, some of the physicians are maybe not open to it, which which I kind of. You know, you would respect expect. too. You yeah, know, I, of course. <laughs> totally. I, right. I kind of respect, and it's it's such an interest, and that's why I kind of love working in the medicine field, just because it is there's such polarity, and I think you know, as you see, and I'm sure as a lot of listeners would would acknowledge as well, like the the shift in medicine to more. I should say of a holistic approach uh, or a whole body, whole soul approach where it's like, hey, let's talk about the emotions. Let's talk about, you know, you, you were talking about surgeries. We're talking about people who are battling cancer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's talk about the, the spiritual side of things, which is so, so important. You know, there's like a crazy study out there that shows how when patients have a positive mindset, they tend outcomes, patient outcomes are better. And, you know, it's again, that's one of those things where it's like, what does that really mean? You know, what, what, you know, how are we measuring this, but how is this true? You know, and I think it's one of those things that we were talking about earlier before the break. It's like, there is so much we don't understand yet about the human brain, about the soul and how it all kind of intersects. And of course, you know, uh, a limb is a limb, right? Like in, in medicine and science, everybody wants everything to be guaranteed and everyone wants everything to be um, perfect. And in a lot of ways it can be, and, and in a lot of ways it is. But medicine is also a practice, right? It's the practice of medicine. So it's a, it's, it's ever growing. It's ever learning, ever changing. So I, I love to be a part of, at least I like to think of myself as part of kind of like the spiritual growth in medicine where I like to, again, I, I try and focus on the patients, but I, I like to have you know, just just sit with them that much longer, maybe, you know, touch them, hold their hand and and talk to them about some, you know, some of some of life beyond uh, what's going on, you know? Absolutely. There are so many instances where people who have deep faith or pray, you know, I believe it was a 60 Minutes episode that I saw many years ago where a woman had to go in for some serious surgery, but she was pregnant. So she was very faith based and she put a Bible on her uterus, like literally and said, you have to keep this there during the surgery. And they did. And and who knows what part of her belief that that helped 
helped her physically. Right. I mean, you know this exactly. being, you know, being a nurse practitioner, you know this being in, in the medical field, the power of the mind, the placebo effect, whether that was the faith, whether it was, you know, all of it combo plattered it's together. Huge. It's huge. Huge. And I think what's so interesting is I, I tend to see, I had, I had the opportunity also to work in hospice care for a while, kind of end of life uh, comfort measures. And, you know, just kind of seeing how sometimes the soul will kind of hang on to the body, you know, before it chooses to cross over where, you know, maybe it's waiting for that extra person to come say goodbye. Or sometimes you see, oh, maybe the soul is waiting for everybody to exit the room and they want to kind of pass on their own. So I guess what I'm getting at is I, I think there's so much, uh, you know, again, that we don't understand. We don't know. And it's it's a pretty amazing thing, and it amazes me even with like you know patients who are uh, surviving and thriving. It's like it, the power of the mind and the power of how the, how determination can really kind of. Uh, uh, there was a saying that we used to say in the ICU, which was you know you can kind of tell that the mind wins, and what that means is when you have those patients who are very and of course it's hard not to be but down on themselves and kind of more or less giving up you see the mind go before the body goes mm. so you know we try to kind of bring that positivity to the bedside where you're going you want to give them encouragement and you want to you want you want their mind to win in a positive way you know because whatever direction you might you, you make up in your mind is usually where your body follows and of course you know there's so much that goes into that but uh that's kind of what i saw in practice that's right thoughts become things as Pat Longo always says. I mean, and we're going to play this here before the news as well. I found an old audio clip of a 1949 Camel commercial where they literally have doctors lighting up. The nurse is lighting the doctor's cigarette. And the tagline is, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? And they talk about how it soothes the throat. It soothes the throat to light that cigarette and smoke it, right? And this was 1949. It was all the knowledge we had at the time because we went with all the knowledge we had at the time to be the fact. And that's why a doctor was telling you to smoke those cigarettes. <laughs> right? Well, now, thankfully, uh, we have more information so that we don't have to worry about smoking cigarettes. And we're going to play that just before the news, if that's okay with you, Paul, the 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 thing. I want you to hear it too, Nick. So when we uh, part ways, I want you to listen. But it is so fascinating because that's what we do. We do what we know at the time based on the information that we have at the time. And then that's how we gauge our moving forward. So as you have been now in the medical community for a while, first in the ICU and now as a nurse practitioner, Nick, what have you seen change with more information, not just the talk of intuition that you can talk to a doctor about intuition, but what other things have you changed since you got into the medical field that are so different from yeah, when you no, started that, that's a great that's that's a great question and to be honest it goes back to what i was saying like medicine is a practice right it's like it's like the art of medicine the practice of medicine and so it's, it's constantly growing and changing and i think you know I, i've seen so many things from different surgery techniques that i saw back in the icu you know to to changes where we totally got rid of certain operations oh we, you know, we used to do this for this patient but now we're not because the patient outcome is poor. You know what's great too? They've, the, the hospital has also kind of brought in, at least you know where I am, uh, local in New York, brought in like pet therapy. So it's little things like that where they have actually a, a nurse that goes around and does Reiki, which is some energy healing as well. Mm-hmm. They brought in more of the relaxation things to kind of like help the patients and 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 relax spiritually. That kind of because they saw there's evidence to prove. Oh look, this kind of benefits their outcome. This benefits their stay. This changes their mindset. And the pet therapy, same thing. You know, it's like, oh, this relaxes them. This 
changes their uh, this changes their scoring of the hospital. They they think of it as a better place, a happier place than just you know kind of because when most people think of a hospital, they think of like you know doom and gloom, which of course it can be, but mm-hmm. you want to make it a whole body experience. So yeah, there's there's so many. I, I probably can't even think of specifics that has changed so much. But every day, it's like you learn something new and you see something different, and it's, it's constantly growing. It's an art. It, it's a practice, so it's great. So I was saying earlier in the program that I have adopted another dog since the passing of my sweet Luna, which has been, you know, such a change. But the frequency that this dog of this unconditional love that brings to me really, I know, helps me physiologically. Like just that waking up and seeing some creature look at you like, oh, my gosh, it's you. It's you. I'm so glad it's you. And you and you can't help but have a reaction to that. You see this in the medical community, too, Nick, that a frequency change yeah. like that's why service animals or support animals are what they are. Yeah, no, it's so it's so awesome. I, and people who connect with animals, it's like you know when you know, you know. It's just the love from an animal is mm-hmm. it, it's it's second to none. So I think it's so interesting. Yeah, you see the patients, they light up. They you see them smile for the first time with the, with a little dog in their lap. You know, it's so nice and, and pleasant. But I think uh, yeah, it's it, I love seeing different modalities kind of implemented um, for more of like a whole soul approach. Yeah, but it all matters with frequency, and so that's what we're talking about. If you are just riddled with anxiety, like Nick was. Nick couldn't leave the house, was afraid he couldn't, you know, he couldn't play baseball anymore. didn't even think he could finish high school because of his crippling anxiety. And because he figured out how to work with his toolbox, he figured out what was going on with his energetics, with his system. You get grounded, you breathe into the heart, all these things, these techniques. It's microwave ready, people. It's not like you got to go out and take the SATs. And that's what I love about it. And the fact that more people are talking about it makes it less bizarre. Nick is a nurse. He works in the medical community, but he's also helping people, especially young people. My son is a senior in high school. He's got crippling anxiety. He's talked to Nick and it makes him feel better to know he's not alone. So if you want to be part of this, we're on Zoom tomorrow, 12 noon. Anxiety is your superpower. Just go to jenweigel.com, click on the spiritual social club icon, or you can just Nick, you know, email Email Nick, Nick Spiritual One, the number one at Gmail. Is that cool with you, Nick, that I'm just like giving out your email? Yeah, to sure. Everybody? No, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. All right. And for everybody now, uh, Nick, thank you for your time. As always, you're doing such great work. We'll talk tomorrow on Zoom. But listen tight. I want to play for you this commercial from 1949 just to show you how things change. Open your mind, people. What cigarette do you smoke? You'll be interested to know how the doctors of America answered that question. Tens of thousands of doctors, doctors in all parts of the country, in every state of the union, doctors in every branch of medicine were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? In this nationwide survey of general practitioners, surgeons, throat specialists, diagnosticians, and so on, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to this survey, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Try Camels yourself. Make the one sensible cigarette test. Make your own 30-day camel mildness test in your T-zone. Smoke only camels for 30 days. Enjoy camels' rich, full flavor. And see how well camels agree with your throat. Pack after pack, week after week. (laughs) See for yourself why camels are so popular with the doctors of America. So popular with the doctors of America. The things we thought were okay. Right, Nick? Can you believe it? (laughs) Oh, <laughs> 
So it's so incredible. It really is. And yeah, it makes you think, okay, what in five, ten years from now are we going to look back and say, oh, gosh, I can't believe we used to do that. Right? I think it's have cell phones in our pockets, and that's for another day. They're like cell towers in your pockets, people. It is not good, and that is for another conversation. But we've got to be more diligent about that. But, Nick, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. And as always, I appreciate your wisdom and your console, and I will see you tomorrow on Zoom, my friend. Of course. Thanks for having me. See ya. You got it. And to everybody else, we're going to have some news and information coming up after the news and information. Uh, We've got John St. Augustine in studio with us. We're going to have Ellen Rogan on, messages from money. And we got Laura Mahoney talking about brain mapping. That's right. We're all talking about brain here on National Fun at Work Day. Did you hear that, John? It's National Fun at Work Day. I'm all in. Okay. Good. He's all in. And so are we. Get some news information now coming up at the top of the hour. I'm Jen Weigel in for Joan Esposito. If you want more information on me, jenweigel.com, J-E-N-W-E-I-G-E-L.com. Of course, you've got many there when you go to the website, and I love getting your emails. Always emails go right to my phone, which, by the way, is not in my pocket. It's on the table right now, as it should be. And info at jenweigel.com. This is WCPT. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Jennifer Weigel in for Joan. Now we've got John St. Augustine also in studio getting to Ellen Rogan here. Messages from money in just a minute. But we do have some breaking news, of course. Trump must pay E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million more in damages. Apparently, uh, former President Donald Trump attended today's closing arguments very briefly before storming out of court. Uh, <laughs> the judge presiding over the trial also lashed out at his lawyer for being late. Jim, you are on the line. Welcome to the conversation. Uh, how are you feeling about this? Uh, you got a good guess on how to attract money. Well, apparently, <laughs> he knows how to get rid of it pretty fast. <laughs> good but, point. <laughs> But uh, I was going to say that his son-in-law got $2 billion from the Saudi, so I'm sure if he pleads to his daughter for mercy, he'll cover some of his legal bills right. with the $2 billion. Right, there you go. But, uh, if anybody could anybody can, here's a guy that, we're talking about a money fanatic, this guy's all he cared about was money, and now he's, he's slowly, many, what's the other fine? We didn't even find him in New York yet. I think it's going to be $300 million. Right. I mean, Let's just keep adding uh, it if up. I was, if I was Jerry Kushner, I'd take a plane to uh, somewhere to hide out for a couple weeks, because I'm sure he'll be after it for the money. Anyway, have a great weekend. Thanks. Oh, Thank you, you got dude. it, Jim. Thanks so much for calling. You know, when breaking news happens, we got to let you know what happens. So enjoy your weekend. $83.3 million. Speaking of money, good thing we've got a money expert on the phone with us, Ellen Rogan. She's got a couple of incredible books. Her first, Picture Your Prosperity, the New York Times bestseller. Then we've got Messages for Money, her latest release. We did an incredible gathering at the Kaizen House in Evanston, uh, educating people on their picturing their prosperity for 2024. Obviously, uh, Trump a little bit uh, in the negative column after that. But hey, like uh, our caller Jim said, he can always uh, borrow a, a little from <laughs> from the family. Welcome to the show, Ellen. How are you? 
I'm great, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to have you. And it's funny because uh, John St. Augustine and you were both speakers at the All Souls Retreat at the same time a couple of years ago. And now here uh, John is uh, sitting in studio as well. So we can all glean from your expertise as you help people guide through the process of bringing in that abundance. Now in your work, Ellen, and obviously I know because I've read both of your books and I've seen your teach, uh, the biggest misconception that people have about money, really I think a lot of it is just their relationship to it right out of the gate, wouldn't you say? We all have a relationship with money, Jen, and I um, think that most of the time people aren't have aren't aware at all of what their relationship really is with it. They're just kind of operating. They either feel like they don't have it or they do have it or it's something stressful or something that comes easily in their life. But I find it super helpful when people start to look at what kind of what what kind of relationship do they really have? Mm-hmm. With their money. Well, I love your analogy, and a few people said this after the event, that the best analogy was that picture dating money. How do you feel about the person you're dating? Are you, are you consistent? Are you respectful? Are you ghosting them? Are you playing games <laughs> with them? Or is it a mutual admiration and communication? And I bet you see all types, don't you, Alan? I do, and I find that that helpful metaphor is really great for people to start to look at how are they really showing up with their money. Mm-hmm. You know, are are they a good partner? I think we expect money to kind of show up for us, but it's really in any kind of relationship, there's two sides. And mm-hmm. so if we start to think, like, how are you as a partner can be super helpful. So another thing, too, is just to facing, you know, face that music, really being honest about it. Because I think one of the things you also talked about was that generosity, when you deal in economically and feed the machine that is money, you get back. So giving will help you get, won't it? Yeah, and it's not just a metaphysical concept, what goes around comes around, although I think most people listening would say, yeah, I have seen that when I am more generous, all of a sudden things flow back to me, but there's actually been research on this, that more generous people make more money. One study showed that if there was two families and one family gave $100 more, that family actually had a higher income. Hmm. And and we think about also generous people, like you would want to work with them. It just energetically makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also something called subjective wealth which is this concept of when we are generous, like if you were to give away to a charity or someone $500, in your mind, you translate into this, oh, I must be very wealthy. And -hmm. it gives you the same kind of internal buzz as it would getting a $10,000 raise. Wow. I told you when I saw you for the event that uh, right after we had sent out an e-blast about it, that you were coming and we were doing this event, I pulled a comforter out of the dryer and out flew two 20s and a 10. Like, what the heck? Talk about making something manifest right then and there. I was like, woohoo, bringing in the positive energy. But then they were all crinkled up, so I had to, I had to take them out, Ellen, and flatten them and, and, you know, put them in the wallet with the other really clean bills and let them know that they were... Because, um, look, one of them might be crisp and perfect, and the other one is crumpled, but they have the same value... They have the same value, people. So I said to them, as I put them in the wallet, I said, be nice. Be nice to your neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you're actually giving a 
you know, kind of ingest or maybe energetically not ingest, but we do have to care for our money. Mm-hmm. And we can do it with like saying, no, I'm really taking good care of it, like the actual bills. But we also live in a material world and there's parts of our finances with everyone. There's something that they know they could be handling more effectively. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, it, it reduces your stress level, which is hugely important with money. And it also helps your money grow. Mm-hmm. John? Yeah, hey, Ellen, how are you? I'm good. Good Thank to talk you. to you. Yeah, good to hear your voice. So my dad was what we would call back in the day a big banker. He worked for 35 years in the banking system, and he worked in everything from collections to loans and back and forth, and he saw both sides of the coin. And I can remember him coming home for dinner and talking about all these people that had these collection problems with money. And then when he was in the loan department, he would come back home and talk about all these people that were getting these great big loans. And most of the people were not in the same category. You know what I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. he, he made the point that, you know, you know, what you focus on the longest really becomes the strongest. And these people, some of them's names I still remember 40, 50 years later, which is fascinating. But he would sit there and talk about how these people were constantly in the system uh, of uh, being un- unable to pay their bills. That energetically, how they felt about money was not good. And the opposite side was these people who were getting these bigger and bigger loans to build businesses and buy homes and stuff, they were paying their loans off and coming back. And I, and I always, you know, what's the middle between those two? Where's the, the sweet spot where for some people, money really is the root of all evil because they don't know what they're going to do with it or how it works for them. And for other people, they see it simply as a tool and it works for them. There's this big difference sometimes. You know, it's so interesting about that story is you remember a story from your childhood. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of this comes to, What we think and believe about money, much of it is ingrained even before we realize we're taking on money messages. Mm -hmm. Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's a cellular cellular biologist, says that we develop our attitudes and beliefs about everything from conception to age seven, and this includes our money beliefs. So your dad was teaching you really interesting, probably very helpful messages about money, but some of us haven't grown up that way. That's true. You know, maybe they saw their parents not paying any attention or fighting about money or stressing about money. And it's such a great exercise as an adult to think back, like, what was your earliest money memory? And is this something that you're still carrying around? Is it helpful or unhelpful? We don't have to be victim to these, but it's really great to start examining you know, what form those earliest um, beliefs that you have that are showing up as an adult. And, you know, we have time, Jen? Yeah, go ahead. So, and, you know, then years later, I spent four and a half years working with Oprah Winfrey, who's a billionaire. And mm. being up close with Miss Winfrey for nearly five years was a whole nother level of what energy does and how you do things. This is with someone who had, we had 580 employees, or she did, not I didn't. And she signed everybody's check. And, you know, and it was just a really interesting Uh, education uh, over there Mm -hmm. and to see how, you know, what, what you focus on does keep expanding. Like my dad would say she did the same thing. It just kept growing and growing the more she gave. And a lot of it, I got to see behind the scenes that was not publicized. How many people went through college bills that she Mm -hmm. paid off stuff that never made the news. I realized, and it was proving what my dad had taught me. The more you give, the more you get. Right. Yeah, I love that story. I like to say generosity precedes prosperity. Mm. And um, from a practical level, we know that generous people, um, it raises your happiness level. It lowers stress. 
So if we're just being logical about this, when you loosen your grip on money and help someone who could use it more, you're less focused on yourself and your own stress, and that helps you to make better decisions, to be more attractive to other people if you're trying to bring business in. It's just such a wonderful, easy way to bring in more prosperity. And I do want to mention, though, some people give away too much because mm-hmm. they're at some level feel like that it's not okay for them to have the money. Right. And so this balance there is really important. Well, uh, John mentioned Oprah, and I know you have a very funny story about that, Ellen. Before we wrap up here, will you mind sharing that? This is another great tip for people. In addition to giving to get more and, and creating this healthy relationship with money, like thinking about how you would in a dating situation or with a marriage. But if you also want to bring in and call in those people, those abundant people in your life, this is a great tip as well. <laughs> Tell us, Ellen, what you did with your phone. <laughs> So I, um, one of the things I love teaching in workshops is about the power of visualization. And as I'm teaching that and running people through meditations, I usually like to think of something that I want to bring into my life. And I, all of a sudden, as I was leading this activity, saw me in Oprah's backyard on Super Soul Sunday. And um, instead of feeling like calm and excited, the first time I did this, I was freaked out. And I'm like, okay, if I want to be in Oprah's backyard, speaking about concepts on Super Soul Sunday, I cannot be that freaked out. So I ended up changing my husband's name on my phone to Oprah. So every time he called, it would be like Oprah calling. And then I was calling her as well. So now when she calls, I'm ready, I'm excited, and I'm calm. (laughs) <laughs> perfect. You are practiced. You are perfectly practiced. I love it. Yes. Ellen Rogan, the book is Messages from Money, messagesfrommoney.com. Is that the best way for people to find you? Sure. That's a great way. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Always wonderful to get your wisdom, and we will be talking to you, I'm sure, again. And everybody out there should go and grab Ellen's book for that knowledge. It is you, literally news you can use right away. This is WCPT. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Jennifer Weigel in for Joan Esposito, sitting alongside John St. Augustine. And we have got an incredible guest on the horn. I know that, John, you're in a relationship, but for somebody such as Jennifer that would be me, um, who is divorced and uh, always being encouraged by somebody like Bella Gandhi of the Smart Dating Academy. Uh, we met when I was back at the Tribune and got to cover her for The Remarkable Woman. Uh, that was an incredible column, and we've been friends ever since. Bella, welcome to the show. Hi, Jen. It's so good to it's so good to be here with you. I wish I was there in person with you and John. Oh, I know. I would do too. I, I, but <laughs> I just love stalking you on Instagram and like seeing you on Good Morning America and all the things that you do. <laughs> it's pretty amazing how busy you are these days because this is the busiest season, is it not? After Christmas, things get ramped up before Valentine's Day. You're 100% right, Jen. This is peak dating season. And why now versus other times? People tend to think it's in the summer, but nope, it's right after the new year. It's new year, new me. Almost half of American adults, guys, believe it or not, are unmarried, and we're making New Year's resolutions. So this is the time to dip your toe back into the dating pool, Jen. Yes, Weigel, get in there. Tear All it right. up. So here's the thing. So as you always try to encourage me, because I'm like, I just want to meet someone in life. I don't want it to be so, I don't know, digital and manufactured. And you're like, you know, 
it used to be you would meet people in life because that's where people would go out and meet people. But now this is the way you meet people. It is the new landscape. And so as a woman who's, you know, over 45, what is the best site now for somebody who is just so over it? <laughs> okay. First of all, Jen, I need you to reset your mindset. Right. That if you're over it, I could put you in a room of a hundred great candidates, but if you're over it, you're going to be like, eh, everybody looks meh. Right. So right. first I need you to say, okay, love is out there for me. And I'm kind of excited about this. Okay. Then they need to stop posting pictures where they're holding fish or where they're shirtless at their desk. <laughs> Like, this is seriously, Bella, you coach people and their profiles. Why is it still happening? Every time I see one and a guy's holding up a fish or he's standing there in, in, in the belf, uh, the bathroom selfie, the belfie, I just made up belfie. a word, the bathroom there selfie. Oh my God. <laughs> it's really bad. They need help. They need help. They need help. So if you're a guy listening and you've got the bathroom selfies and the fish and the dead animals, get rid of those. Stop looking at what other guys are doing, right? It's like lemmings, you know, going off the cliff. Don't look at what other people are doing, okay? Yes. You want to dress to impress so that you can attract a great woman like the great Jennifer Weigel. So, I see a, so, I see a okay. radio contest coming here. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh no. my God. Oh, Get dear. a date with Jen there 2024. Wait, we did a charity event once and somebody did auction to, you know, to take me to lunch and then they spent the whole time talking about themselves, which was fine because they, they, but there was no, not one question like, so do you have kids or do you have this or do you have that? And look, I had a wonderful marriage and I have a great kid and we have a good relationship. We co-parent our son. I think I'm, I'm in the minority with a lot of divorces that are real pretty bitter, but I mean, John is here and you've, you've got a relationship with Mm -hmm. your ex and you co-parent your children. It's, you know, every. Every situation's a little different. I, Mild I, mileage mile, helps. Mile, Miles apart. Mileage yes. does help. But I, I do feel like I've had a, you know, I've had a good, I, I, I don't need it to complete my life. I think that's the difference. I'm Ooh. looking for a witness to my life versus someone to complete my life. And I know that you at the Smart Dating Academy, you preach about that. You teach about that. You say that when you're the best version of yourself, then you can become open to the right kind of partnership instead of looking for someone to fix you, right? Yes, there's no such thing as anybody that can fix you or complete you. And by the way, whoever auctioned, uh, whoever took Jen out for lunch, right, a date is not a therapy session. It's a conversation. The ball's got to go back and forth. If you've heard your own voice for more than five minutes, it's probably time to give the other person a turn. (laughs) All right, give us some other red flags. Bella Gandhi, Smart Dating Academy, if you're just tuning in. Things you need to know before you go and try tried to do any sort of dating in this day and age. Yeah, well, don't be afraid of online dating, okay? okay? But if you want red flags, anybody in their profile that sounds negative, right? If somebody says, oh, I'm not looking for any drama, right? You're like, oh, I don't have any drama. Let me message him or her. No, no. If somebody says they're not looking for drama, guess what? Newsflash, they're going to cause you the drama. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. So they're saying who I don't they like really sarcasm. are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no sarcasm, no negativity. I mean, lately I've been seeing if you don't look like your photos, mm-hmm. you're buying drinks until you do. Like, <laughs> that's not nice. <laughs> That doesn't work anymore. That's not nice. Don't put that in your profile. All the people at Smart Dating Academy are going to be left 
swiping on you. Right. Well, I have I've, I have people say, you know, make it, uh, say, recent photos. These are recent photos because it is true. I've had that bait and switch before where you see the photo and then you get there and you're like, oh, are you the person's father? I mean, they're shaving off decades here. Yeah, they do that. And I actually saw somebody that I graduated high school with and their age, you know, and I, I put my honest age in there because I don't want to be duped. I feel like if you have that vibration of lying right out of the gate, that's not a good start for any relationship. And I saw this person that actually was in my brother's class, which is a year older than me, saying he was 10 years younger than I was. <laughs> I was did like, you bust him on it? I did. Good. <laughs> bust him. So, You're like, yeah. hey, last I checked, mm-hmm, dot, last, dot, dot. Yeah, we graduated high school within the same couple of years, buddy. Nice try. Right. But I get it. People are, you know, and I do think because af- after you hit a certain age, I think a lot of people who are 50 and up, don't necess- the men anyway, don't want to date women who are 50 and up. At least that's what I'm finding. They want to go a decade younger. It makes them feel younger or young at heart. But I, it, it's a shame to me because there's so much wisdom to be had. And especially if you, you know, bother to go to yoga like I do or go running like I do, you stay physically active so that you're ready because you can't be dormant and think that everything's going to work the same. It just doesn't. <laughs> That's right. And and one one little one little side note here, Jen Weigel. Yeah. Not every fifty year old is looking for a thirty year old. Okay. Right? And when that's our bias, again, it's like the red sweater effect. Right. If I tell you, Hey Jen, walk into a party and tell me all the people wearing red, you'll say, Well, there's seven people wearing red. I said, Well, how many people were wearing purple? You're like, Well, I don't know. I wasn't looking for purple. Same thing if you're looking for people that are confirming your biases that are negative, <laughs> that's all you're gonna see. You're right. seeing red sweater people everywhere. I want you to look for, oh, wow, there's a lot of guys on here that are looking for age-appropriate people. Right. Every time now, because, you know, it just happened on Christmas. My son might have been involved. We might have put up a profile for myself on one of the sites. And so now, whenever I open up that profile, it was just a month ago, but it's still like, oh, geez. I say, thank you for the miracle on blah. Just because I listen to you, Bella Gandhi, and I don't want to go out with that red sweater effect. I want to try to put some miracles in the space. So thank you for the positive interactions that happen from this. Instead, I used to always go, oh gosh, this is going to be a disaster. And sure enough, and so it is. It was. It was. was. When you put that out there, what you expect, you get when you say it like that, which is what I was doing. So thanks for that reminder. You are absolutely right. But for the listener out there that is a little like digitally challenged, or maybe they're thinking, eh, I don't know, or maybe the people will scam me. What are the best reputable, the most reputable? I hear Tinder is the hookup one. Bumble and Hinge are a little more legit. Match has always been a standby. Is that still kind of the case? Yeah, although, Jen, Tinder's responsible for more marriages now than any other site because it's a glo- it's the biggest app globally at this point. Okay. So, you know, you can get some of everything on every site, and that's the thing. Don't go into this, dear listener, thinking there's one great site where all the people just like you are. Nah, online dating is the world's largest cocktail party, and you're going to get some of everybody at the cocktail party, whether you're on Tinder or Hinge or Match or eHarmony, there's going to be a wide swath of people. There's going to be red sweater people, purple sweater people. There's going to be some of everybody. But your job is just bless and release mentally the people that aren't good for you and look for the ones that are. Bless and release. I love it. Bless and release. Bless you. You got to go. 
<laughs> Bella, your podcast is also amazing. The Smart Dating Academy is where people can find you. Uh, when's the TV show going to be on? Oh, my gosh. I have, Which TV show? I mean it. You need a TV show. Can we get that done? Let's go back into Weigel Productions. Or not Weigel Productions, Weigel Broadcasting. My grandpa started the place. We haven't had a Weigel in there since the 60s. But let's get something going. <laughs> I would love that. And our first topic is going to be... Find Jenna Man in 2024. Right. You know, Bella, I think they should recreate the dating game and put Weigel in the chair. Oh, God. Yes. Right? John, Come on. Let's do it. I'm in. I'm in. Bachelor number one, could you answer this question, please? Yes, I like to go fishing. Exactly. <laughs> Why is I like it? dead animals on my profile. Exactly. <laughs> no dead animals. And enough with the car selfies, people. Just have, have your friend take a picture across, across the table at dinner. It's way better than please. any of the selfies. Please do us all a favor Please. enough with the selfies we see it enough bella you're a rock star thank you for making some time for us today as we uh sit in for joan it's really always amazing to get your insights the smart dating academy is where you can find bella gandhi email her she's available for coaching and all sorts of insights she also has a wonderful podcast the smart dating academy we're going to get some news and information this is wcpt joan esposito live local and progressive on wcpt 820 this is Jennifer Weigel in for Joan alongside John St. Augustine. Uh, John, I really want you to um, absorb this fabulous woman who's joining us on the phone because I know you dig the whole mental health situation. I you're, dig it, you sister. dig it. You dig, dig it. it deep. And you also, um, you're open to the fact that we don't have all the answers, right? As yes. listeners know from our yep. commercial about what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Um, as we gain more information and learn, we can figure out how to fix a lot of the anxiety and the things that are going on with the brain. Information is power. And our guest, Laura Mahoney, has been doing that with her brain mapping and all of the neurofeedback that she has been, um, thankfully, a champion for. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jen. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, you were a guest on my podcast, The Jen Weigel Show, just recently, and I can't tell you how much great feedback I got, which is why I wanted to have you on when I got the call about this, because brain mapping is important, but not enough people are aware of it or what it is. So to the listener that doesn't understand what I'm talking about, it's a screenshot of the brain to talk about and show what's firing and what's not. But what else is it? So what a, a brain mapping is, is it's called a, technically it's called a QEEG, which is a quantitative EEG, which means that we're measuring the electrical activity of the brain and we can see where the brain is producing, doing brain waves and, uh, which if it's too much of a doing brain wave that can correlate with anxiety, insomnia, poor sleep, things like that, chronic stress. If the brain is producing too much of an idling brain wave, then what that can correlate to are symptoms of ADD, inattention, fogginess. Even uh, we can see long COVID uh, where people are sleeping a lot. <clears throat> they, uh, they have a, an excess of some slowing in the brain, which is causing the sleepiness. So um, it's really fascinating, and we can talk about perfectionism, OCD, trauma, uh, poor sleep, it really is just a wealth of information just by getting that, that data. So people can get their brain mapped, and this is available. There are lots of places that do it nationally, but your company, Lux Neuro, L-U-X-N-E-R, 
URO.com. You're out of the Denver area, but you, you have resources for other places that do this. They can basically see which parts are overactive, which parts are not. I was talking with, uh, with Renee here in, in the hallway as before I came in to do the show and she listened to the conversation you and I had on the podcast. And we were talking about there's the one way our brain never feels safe. And that is usually from trauma in childhood. And so for the person that really never feels safe, you do have trouble with sleeping. You do have trouble with relationships. And also addiction is a, is part of that equation as well, isn't it? Yes, totally. Um, in people who have a, a trauma history, what happens, there's two ways that it shows up in the brain. One is that if they have somebody who is actually um, a predator uh, towards them and making them feel unsafe, the brain learns that it is not safe to idle. Uh, so that means that they're not going to shut down completely going to sleep. So it's like uh, if you're uh, hypervigilant and you're at a hotel, uh, you know, we're wired for this. If we're in a strange place or we think some danger is coming, we can't go to sleep for the two nights, the first two nights at a hotel, uh, because our brain doesn't think it's safe to idle. But these people who have chronically, uh, unsafe situations, their brain is learning that it is never safe to idle. And so they don't get into a deep sleep, right. um, which can, you know, how you feel after not having a good night's sleep or, uh, if they have a lot of chaos around them and things are very unpredictable, they they might become, um, which is a different part of the brain in the front, they might become um, obsessive compulsive. So everything has to be in a certain order because I have to control things mm-hmm. because the things in my life are very uncontrollable. So those are two ways where uh, trauma can show up in the brain. And those traumas that show up in the brain, we can't see with the naked eye. I say this all the time. We can see if somebody physically needs to get to the gym or somebody physically is in in harm or limping or whatever that gives us information. With our brains, a lot of people can put on a happy face. Slap a little lipstick on, honey. You'll be fine. And all the trauma is disguised. But yet get them behind closed doors and look out. They're throwing water bottles. Like, we just don't know. And so the beauty of brain mapping is to be able to see what parts of the brain are actually working. So instead of just getting a blanket medication that attends to the entire brain, you can be more specific. But even better than that is this neurofeedback. So explain what neurofeedback is once you have the data from the brain mapping, and then you can help people work through their symptoms to see how you can reactivate the parts that are dormant that need to be activated. Right. So we are able to target specific areas of the brain. So we're measuring the brain in 19 different areas all around the brain, from the front to the back to the sides. So we can tell if somebody is overproducing uh, uh, anxiety brainwaves or they're in fight, fight, flight, or freeze, um, and that's in the back of the brain, and they're hypervigilant, we can target just the back of the brain um, instead of, like you said, with a medication that that's going to target the entire brain. Um, And we can uh, teach the brain through neurofeedback Um, the process of of allowing the brain to see itself um, and to learn to not produce the uh, fight, flight, or freeze brain waves. Um, Or if they have something that's the OCD that we were talking about, that would be in the front of the brain. We can target the front of the brain um, and have them not produce those, those brain waves. John, did you have a question? So this is always so interesting to me as someone who has uh, dealt with and overcome PTSD from auto accident and trauma and things like that. The accident Uh itself became an incident where I was able to turn it in a way that I learned from it so it didn't become a victim of it for my whole life. 
And one of the things I, I learned in kinesiology in college was the uh, SAID principle, which is specific adaptation to impose demands. That's on the physical body, which, of course, to some greater or lesser degree, the brain is. And SAID basically says if you, your body will adapt to the demand placed on it or not. So people who work out a certain way look a certain way. And if you don't, you don't. So my question is, would this something that would hold true for the brain as well, that it adapts to the demand placed on it or not, but it's adaptable over time like a muscle? Um, so I'm not sure how to answer the question. I, I'm not sure if you're asking, you know, is the, because the, you know, I think that neurofeedback can be a, uh, modality where like um, or mental health can be where the physiology is driving the bus. So if our body isn't calm, it's going to be driving the bus of bus of cognition and mm-hmm. not, it's not what we think. It is actually that the body is, uh, you know, if my body's calm, then I'm going to probably respond in a situation. And if my body is feeling dysregulated, I'm going to be reactive in a situation. Um, I'm not sure if that's really answering your question because um, I'm not familiar with what you're talking about. Right. So the, the example used about somebody with OCD, for example, using, doing the same thing over and over again to be, feel safe and have control over a situation. Uh-huh. Can they break the cycle by so in kinesiology, for example, the, the adaptive principle means you do something different to get a different result, right? So mm-hmm. can they break that cycle by not doing the things they normally would do for OCD and the brain then eventually responds to not triggering it as much? Right, with a new neural pathway. Right. That's what the neurofeedback does, right, Laura? Yeah, so that's going to happen. Um, that's a slower way at getting at it. Mm-hmm. Um, neurofeedback is a quicker way at getting uh, affecting change. So... Um, when we're, I, we find that the the behaviors just melt away. So it's nothing that, um, it's really lovely because I'm also a therapist is that my, my patients, they know what to do. They just can't do it in the moment, mm-hmm. um, because of their physiology. And so, um, we find that, um, you know, even with trauma, I don't have to dig into the traumas with people. I don't have to go deep all the time as in traditional therapy. In fact, that probably is strengthening those neural pathways of the trauma and making them feel worse. But we are able to address the brainwave that is causing the trauma. Um, and then, you know, the things that might come up, we address. And I say it's like dipping your foot in the pool, your toe in the pool, but you don't have to dive in. Mm. So it's a beautiful way of healing for the people um, where, you know, I, I prefer not to d- dig into the traumas really deeply because we can talk about the physiology. And I find that people become self-actualized and they become they're able to hear their inner voice because there's not the static, um, the static of anxiety, the static of depression the static of my trauma history and ruminating over the thoughts, those, they, those regress and then they're actually able to self-actualize and, and uh, heal themselves in that way. The visual I love is that when you are walking through the woods and you can see a path that many have walked before, right? The, the grass is smushed a little bit. The bushes are pushed aside. It's like, oh, a lot of animals have gone that way. And then there's the one in front of you that, no, it's never been done before. But guess what? Go once and you'll make a little path and then you keep going. You can create new neural pathways by choosing that pathway. It just takes awareness. It takes, And that's what you help walk people through. It can become your go-to. 
too. It can become your automatic, but you have to train your brain. And the brain is very malleable, and the work you do, Laura, is very valuable. And so I hope that people can reach out to you at luxneuro.com and find out what kind of resources are near them. Or, hey, if you're uh, making your way out to Denver, go see Laura in person because you guys are changing lives, and I'm so grateful for it. So thank you for all that you do, Laura. It was really wonderful having this chat today. I wish we could have talked to you for a whole hour, but we'll have you back. <laughs> thank you so much. Awesome to You're talk amazing. with you. You are too, Laura. <laughs> Laura Mahoney of LuxNero.com. We want to show or show. It's show and tell radio, John. Uh, we want everyone to listen to this Earth Matters clip. John St. Augustine and Bill Curtis have done some incredible work, and they are telling you how you can change the planet. Before we go to this little commercial break here with some information, John St. Augustine and Bill Curtis changing the way you see your planet because the Earth matters. It's a habit that has been not only passed down from generation to generation, but one that seems to make sense when it's cold outside. Warming up your car, does it really help? On a day and age where it's so easy to click a button on a remote starter on those frigid mornings to get the car warmed up, research has shown that every time you let your car warm up, it's not only putting extra exhaust in the air, but it also puts the engine in idle, which wastes fuel. Today's modern engines have eliminated the need to warm a car at the curb. They actually warm up quicker when driving. It takes about 30 seconds for most engines to circulate oil, and then you're ready to go. While there's no doubt that in the middle of winter it's great to jump into a car that has the heater blasting, just know that it comes at a cost over a long period of time, both mechanically and environmentally. I'm Bill Curtis with Earth Matters. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It's National Fun at Work Day this last Friday in January. I'm Jennifer Weigel, in for Joan, alongside John St. Augustine. John, I know you've been so busy writing the Randy Hundley book, yeah. hanging out with Mr. Hundley. You were just with him the other day. A couple days ago, yeah. How's he doing? You know, he's getting there. He's uh, 81 and feeling the winter like we all are. His bones are just a little bit older, but the book has been such a... A great gift to myself as a, as the author, mm-hmm. to Randy, to meet fans that you know. It was fifty years ago since he played, basically. Yeah. So uh, we put the book out in September. We did a big uh, author signing at La Villa, where I'm headed to after this show to get some food. Yum! Shout out to La Villa, and uh, it was great. Three hundred some odd Cub fans and Randy's family from Virginia, and you know he's the Iron Man of baseball. Caught more games than any catcher in a single season in the history of the game. And that's the title of the book. And so we spent, uh, I don't know, eight months, nine months, put it together. And then you just got to write it. And we did mm-hmm. that and got the thing done. It came out last September. It still sells well. We do, uh, you know, interviews here and there. And it's just, it's amazing, you know, as, as an author yourself. And mm-hmm. you and I work on projects together with people who want to put books in the world. It's a tough deal. It is. And yet uh, working with him was a dream come true in many ways. He's a hero of mine as a kid. And uh, I'm just tickled to, to see all the success we've had with it. If people want to reach out to see about getting you and yeah. Randy to come to their restaurant or their party or whatever, you know, I mean, hey, if they want to get a hold of the book, where do they go? The best way to do it is direct from the publisher is lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com. Okay. It's, they sell it direct there. And it's not on Amazon for a lot of reasons. I just have to think the planet was better when Amazon was just a river. But that's a different <laughs> conversation. But lulu.com, Iron Man is the book. Put it in the search bar. You can get a copy. 
Okay, well, speaking of the planet, you and Bill have been working on these Earth Matters, yeah. and it matters. And, of course, when you started doing these, what, 15 years ago? Yeah, 15 years ago. 15 years ago, it was just as important. It's more important now. So the ramping up of the urgency, what are some of the messages that stick with you where you're like, golly, that was important? Well, I know. Just listen to that one on the way out. I mean, it's a simple thing. There's common sense for uncommon times, basically, is what Earth Matters is. The idea... When I started scripting these out was you have to take a lot of information that people don't have time to look up on their own, right. put it into one minute mm-hmm. and have the greatest voice on the planet. Read it. Hello. Um, I'm Bill Curtis. Curtis. Right. We all mm-hmm. do that. Uh, but it had a big impact and it still does. And so, uh, you know, it, repetition is everything. And mm-hmm. repeating things on radio is why we have commercials. Right. So the repetition of Earth Matters has been basically dropping seeds for 15 years Mm -hmm. and people hear it over and over again they make little changes i know we have one coming up here in a little bit about uh, you know polyethylene beads which is a is one of our big success stories okay well one of my big big success stories and the best job i've ever had is being mom Mm -hmm. to my senior in high school and tonight is his senior night for wrestling that's a big deal and it's a big deal and and mom's got to walk him out of the locker room and onto the mat for his last home senior meet so i am going to be leaving you here in a minute uh, but I know everybody's in your capable hands. You and I have sat across from each other oh boy, huh? so many hours and so many places. Yeah. And maybe one of these days, somebody will get the clue that we should be doing that more often. <laughs> I know. You know, it's been, tag team is the best. I, I, I am amazed as long as we've known each other. I have such respect for you. I'm laughing. I've known you all these years. I'm laughing in the car on the way here listening to you talk and do your interviews and all the things that you do in the world of Weigel. And I've always told you, you know, you have a stand-up show coming up. And it, that, I think that's the best thing you do. You're great at everything. But that stand-up stuff, where we can use words that are not FCC approved. That's right. Oil That's Lamp on, Theater coming in March. Exactly. Yes, just we can go say to, shirt all we want. <laughs> sure can. Yeah. Oil so. Lamp Theater, March seventh and eighth. Please come see me and say hi. JenWeigel.com is where you can find me for all the other fun stuff we talked about today. You can talk about dating in that show. Oh goodness, I can't <laughs> believe that came out. My son is going to be so yeah. oh tickled by that. Let's get to another Earth Matters, shall we? Yes. Information can lead to transformation, or in the case of polyethylene beads, it can lead to a law banning them. In 2013, Earth Matters first reported that many plastic beads used in facial scrubs were being rinsed down the drain and finding their way into the Great Lakes, where fish would mistake them for food because they never dissolve. That broadcast had listeners choosing biodegradable soap over polyethylene. And in 2015, Illinois became the first state in the nation to ban the beads altogether. Now comes word that the ripple effect continues with a new law signed by President Obama that bans the beads nationwide, effective in 2017. The message is clear. Change doesn't always come from the top down, but sometimes from the bottom up. One small action like changing from a scrub to soap creates a ripple effect that can bring great big results. Earth Matters. I'm Bill Curtis. So that's a little bit dated because Obama was in office, obviously, but it was a big deal for us because, as Bill pointed out, you know, and, and let me just say this before we uh, I, I dig into it a little bit more. It took about three hours for me to research and write every Earth Matters. We did 300 of them, and they kept playing in rotation. But when I hear these all this years later, I think about being up really early in the morning and researching this stuff and all the pieces that have to be pulled together to create one minute of radio airtime. That particular one, as he pointed out, uh, is such a big deal for us because it started out as a small story that I read somewhere online about Lake Erie having all these polyethylene beads and the fish were eating them. And, you know, that's not a good because then... 
people eat the fish. Not a good idea. And one thing led to another, and I called it the ripple effect because that's exactly what happened. I don't recall exactly all the uh, legislative pieces that took place for that to get to President Obama's desk. But one of the last things he did was sign the polyethylene banned uh, beat act. And you know, we're not the only ones that sounded the alarm on that. There's, there was other journalists involved. But when you do something like that, it just totally dismisses the fact that we don't make a difference. We do make a difference. And making different choices matters. So the concept of Earth Matters is that, you know, like it or not, we're not the only species on the planet. We just act that way. And I always think about our place in all of this. You know, uh, if you, you know, listen, if you think that the Flintstones was a documentary, I can't help you. But what I can say is that there is something you can do where you're at to make a difference. And what I mean by that is that the, the, the most important piece is that we don't fall into apathy, that, oh, my gosh, there's nothing to be done. The problems are too big. Not true. So. The polyethylene thing is a perfect example. You can't use them anymore. The people who created those polyethylene beads and manufactured them, they found something else to do. It wasn't the end of the world. There's going to be a lot of gnashing of teeth when their change comes along. If you'd have told me when I took Auto Shop right down the street on Milwaukee Avenue at Shures High School for two years that one day F-150 Ford pickup trucks would be electric, I'd have said there's no, you know, what way. But it is. It's, it's come around. So while there are some daunting challenges we all face, and in a lot of ways, I think some of this stuff might be just beyond our reach at this point, things like that, F-150s are electric, and the amount of electric cars we have now is astounding to me. Just go back a half a century and see how many things have changed. Solar, for example. I mean, we keep refining it, refining it, and it's amazing how many applications. The, the National Coal Mine Museum in Kentucky is powered by solar panels. Look it up. So when those things happen, I see change is slow, but it is happening for sure. And we're the ones that drive that. Think about the uh, number of supermarkets that are now all holistic and healthy and all that. They didn't have those when I was a kid. You went to one store, you got what you got. That was the way it was. So we have all these advances for sure in, in the way we live our lives these days. And of course, with all the advances come drawbacks. There's no question. There's always challenges. One of the big deals, I think, for me is you got to study history. And when you look at the history of the environmental challenge that we have, you know, the big tipping point was back in 1969, I think it was, the Cuyahoga River in Ohio caught fire from all the garbage that was in there. It literally emoliated on itself. I'll never forget being an 11-year-old kid watching the fire on the top of the river. We'd never seen anything like that. And not long after that, the EPA came along in 1970. You know, Richard Nixon created the EPA, not because he was a great environmentalist, because he was an opportunist. And he saw these things going on. So you have to do something about it as a politician. He did. It's still around. He's not, which is even better. So what I'm getting at here in short form is that all these things, these challenges that we see on the news and all the rest of it can seem so overwhelming and kind of diminish the fact that we're alive and that we live in this incredible planet, but we're one of only a billion plus species. And so finding our way in it and knowing our place in it is really, really important. So I'm all about the Earth Matters thing. Bill and I talk about it quite frequently, you know, and, and so at some point we, you may be hearing those again in the near future. I'm not going to look into the crystal ball too much, but we're working on some new stuff with that, because as Jen pointed out, uh, it's important and other voices are important. And knowing that your voice matters is important. And that's what this channel is all about. You know, I've sat in on this 
this frequency many times over the years and always honored to have the microphone. I do not take it lightly. I don't take myself very seriously, but I take what comes out on this channel seriously. And one of the things, unfortunately, through technical difficulty we were unable to play was something that's never aired. And apparently it never will <laughs> because after today. But I, I can kind of paraphrase it for you. It was called History Matters. And I created the History Matters series, Bill doing the voiceover. How could he not? And it talked about Theodore Roosevelt. And, you know, the only way he became president was because McKinley was assassinated. The Republicans at the time put T.R. in the benign VP slot. They didn't want anything to do with this guy. He was a rabble rouser. He's a progressive. We don't want progress. I think that's what Congress is for. The opposite of progress is Congress. Anyway, so they put him in the benign VP slot. McKinley gets assassinated. And then here at 40-some-odd years old, Teddy Roosevelt becomes our 26th president. And he lived it. He created the national parks, all the conservation efforts, all the things that we see that are still in place today because of an assassin's bullet. Now, I don't have... You know, enough of a, a, a inkling like Weigel does into all these universal things, how they work. And while it was sad that McKinley died, I'm glad Teddy Roosevelt found his way to the, to the Oval Office. And so he was a progressive at a time when it was really not popular to be a progressive, kind of like now. So studying history, our history, history is so vitally important to keep your perspective. And what I'm getting at is that when you look at these things, it's amazing to me how much we lose perspective because we think this is the worst of times that's ever been. And it's not true. You got to stand up and stand in what you know and make your voice count. And that's what this is all about. I'm not sure we're at on time because I'm on a roll and a rant. I got to go. Give me the wrap up there, kid. We're good to go. Listen, it's been great sitting in for a few minutes. Uh, Stick around. Uh, I know Patty's coming in. She's going to land the jetliner in fine form here in just a few seconds. Been great spending time with you. John St. Augustine, over and out.